This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Top of the Monday morning to you. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. The show where we give you the tools, the ideas, everything you need to grow healthier, happier lives. Good morning to you, man. Holy cow, it's another Monday. You know, Mondays sneak up on me. It's like I'm just not ready for it. I don't know what it is. You know what I mean? It just doesn't feel right. Why are we working today? Is this not Friday? Football season started for my little boys. Oh, I miss those days. Do you? Oh, I miss, do those, you miss days. those days. I do enjoy them because I love to go to those games. Those games are great, except it was hot and, um, you know. How many boys do you have playing? I have two playing. Okay. Every Saturday, two games. They were actually playing on the same field. Mm-hmm. but At the same time? At the same time. Oh, that's hard. But, yeah, so luckily, you know, we, just, we were looking just back and forth. Uh-huh. And Did they win? Uh, one won and one lost. One killed and one got killed. <laughs> it's really weird. You know, where you live, I remember where, where we lived, yeah. we would play your teams uh-huh. and we would get killed because you have so many yeah. kids in the program that it's, you would have 200 boys or whatever and we would have, we'd be lucky to have 50 or know, something and we would get, you guys would kill but us But now they've time. divided it because our school's That's divided right. yep. again and so it's- So uh, you're no longer dominant. No, we're not Yay. dominant. I'm yeah, glad about it's, that. which is really horrible for us. <laughs> It was so Good much easier to just else. beat everybody. Then all of our kids had self-esteem back in the day. Now it's shot, right? Now we have no self-esteem. <laughs> hey, did you hear this latest report? This is such great news. If you just walk 25 minutes a day, it's, it'll add seven years to your life. Wow. And you've cool? got your watch on that keeps track of that. In fact, that reminds me, I'm walking today. So does that, your Apple Watch, does that keep track of your steps? Yes. Okay, I don't but know how I to don't, set that up. I don't, know how to, I don't pay attention to steps. Yeah. I used to pay attention you to steps. You did with your Fitbit. But then I realized if I move my arms a lot, <laughs> then I get a lot of steps. <laughs> it's really weird. So if you just got to move your arm a lot and you do that and boy, that it's like you ran a marathon. <laughs> hey, speaking of arms, uh, you, I don't know if you've heard, um, there's a new arms race with Putin. It's Speaking of, <laughs> have you seen this? Putin uh, is is has been working out with Russian Prime Minister Medvedev. Medvedev, you should see these pictures in the Daily Mail. It is the funniest thing you've ever seen. Two guys just working out, lifting weights, and you can tell Medvedev is really under there under duress. Mm-hmm. It's just a photo op for him because his <laughs> arms aren't that great. Well, I know you have a poster in your office of Putin on the horse uh-huh. without a shirt. Isn't that That's hot? your favorite That's p- my picture. favorite shirt because someday <laughs> I want a shot like that. And then they're out like – then there's a shot of them at breakfast having tea together. Mm-hmm. And they're in their workout clothes. And Medvedev's wearing those shoes. You know those shoes that pump your rear end up? Those skeechers, what are they called? The ones that – they roll just right, and they make your rear end look bigger and yeah. stronger. I, they don't make those anymore. I remember those no, I think years they ago. Do, do they really? Apparently, Medvedev's wearing a pair. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing them right now. Are you so, really? Yeah. I thought you looked different. You look more pumped up. Yeah, you, they kind of those roller shoes. Yes, uh-huh. He's, I, had I swear a pair he's of those wearing once. them. I'm embarrassed to say, but I did. You know, there's just something about world leaders working out. Just, just as weird. Well, for women, when you hear that a shoe can you know, tone up your backside, then you're going to go buy them. 
well, yeah. <laughs> Are you going to purchase them for yeah, the wife? Yeah, right? it's like, honey, I've got these really weird <laughs> shoes for you. Did I tell you that I was wearing those? Uh, I used to wear those um, running shoes that are zero lift. Oh yeah, I don't like those. Those are those. Are, I got those once, and it hurt my plantar fasciitis. Did Just it, to let you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I wore them for like eight <laughs> months, and it was destroying my plantar. But here's what the guy said. The guy said, "You really would be better just wearing high heels." And I'm like, what? I think you guys should wear those just to see what we have to go I know, through. but I think that's crazy. I, I've, I've not, to, not to be weird, but I've worn a pair. <laughs> not, I to have, be, not to be weird at all. Not yeah, to be no. weird there, but <laughs> I don't think I haven't worn a pair. And yeah, that, I think that's just crazy. If I, in fact, right now, I don't even know what shoes to wear anymore. I have one pair. I wear my r- tennis running walking shoes everywhere I go. I even wore them with a suit yesterday. <laughs> I just look like I don't know what I'm doing, but I really do. But I found the perfect shoes. They are so warm and cozy, and I wear them everywhere I go. They don't even match my clothes. Those kind that you're wearing right mm-hmm. now, I've tried. I've never. Those have never been good for me. They're Asics. That brand. Yeah, they're running shoes. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the top brands of running shoes, but yeah. I've never, for but, some reason, it's never worked for me. Well, everyone's like, "Man, are you a runner?" And I'm like, "No, but I wear the shoes." <laughs> it makes you look like it you're makes running. me look. Yeah, and like it's you're fit. and it. I, I don't know what it is. They they just feel so yummy and good inside. Hey, uh, today we've got a great uh, guest coming up. Of course, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, will be joining us. He's going to be talking about, speaking of Putin, everyone, the, the big thing now is Trump is basically like Putin. He's kind of a bully. And if these people, if all of our candidates can't handle Trump, then could they really handle Putin? I think not. Because Putin's getting some pumped up arms. Uh, let's, go, let's go over to Kathy, find out what's going on in the rest of the world. Kathy? Good morning, everyone. The man accused of shooting a police officer at a gas station in Texas will be in court this morning for an arraignment hearing. 30-year-old Shannon Miles is charged with capital murder after allegedly shooting Deputy Darren Goforth Friday night. Here's Harris County Sheriff Ron Hickman. We've heard black lives matter, all lives matter. Well, cops' lives matter, too. So why don't we just drop the qualifier and just say lives matter? Hundreds of people attended a vigil for the officer over the weekend. Miles is being held without bail. President Obama will spend the next few days in Alaska to speak with coastal villagers about the impact of global climate change to their livelihoods. The trip is the first by a sitting president and the culmination of an increasingly forceful climate change policy Obama has pushed over the last two years. Speaking of Alaska, the White House made an announcement yesterday changing the name of Mount McKinley to Denali. They say renaming the mountain is in recognition of Alaska natives. A prospector back in 1898 named the mountain after William McKinley, the Republican nominee for president. But Alaskans have long called the mountain Denali and since 1975 have been asking the name to be changed. Bernie Sanders is gaining ground on Hillary Clinton in Iowa. That according to the latest Des Moines Register Bloomberg politics poll. The numbers show Sanders trailing Clinton by just seven percentage points. Clinton has lost one-third of her support in Iowa since May. On the GOP side, Donald Trump is at 23 percent, Ben Carson not far behind at 18 percent. Wes Craven, the man best known for Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream movies, died yesterday from brain cancer. Craven came up with the Elm Street idea when he grew up in the the suburbs of Cleveland and lived next to a cemetery. Craven was 76 years old. And Matt, I know you watched last night. What? As Taylor Swift, she was the big winner during the MTV Video Music Awards. Oh. Were you asleep? Uh, yeah, were those on? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice. They were on. Yes, Swift took home four awards, including wow. Top Video of the Year. She was also reunited on stage with Kanye West, who snatched the microphone yeah. from her six years ago. That was so That's embarrassing. That's always fun. West also, here's the biggie, though. 
I mean, I'm really excited what? about this. He announced that he's going to run for president in 2020 already. So <sighs> there's here we go again. Really? Yeah. Kanye West for president. Aren't you excited? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, my heavens. Now you thought Trump was bad. I thought he was, like, announcing to run for president in 2018. No, 2020. Hey, we're not running in 2018, yeah. Kanye. Boy, <laughs> um, it, what's he think? Well, I guess. Never mind. I was going to say, what's he thinking? And Miley Cyrus, I guess, kind of had another mel- or, uh, wardrobe malfunction. I didn't watch it, but, you Did know, she? he was the host. I'm like, why would you put her as the host? I don't know. Yeah, real, well, ratings. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess that's the crowd That's that probably watches, why I right? didn't watch it. That's me yeah, too. <laughs> if I had known. Uh, way too old but for I that. But I mean, what a, uh, you know what? We're just getting old. Well, you know, Kanye West and, and, and his wife would be just, you know, great in the, in the White House, don't you think? Ooh, she would Kim be the Kardashian. first lady. Yes. How wonderful would that be? <laughs> Can't you just see there them getting in and there, out of the it? limo? <laughs> I would love to see Kanye, you know, talking about the Iran the Iran nuclear deal. Wouldn't that be fascinating? That would be great. Or Find climate out. change yeah. or climate anything change. big. Or, How do you, know, you go change? Illegal immigration, anything like that. I guess the president can just change the name of a mountain. Yeah, I guess so. To Mount Denali. Yeah. It's, you know why? It's because he's been in the Hamptons. In the Hamptons, <laughs> they're all driving Denali's around. He's like, I like Denali's a lot. Yeah, I would mind a Denali myself. Yeah. yeah, that would be nice. If I was president, I would name – I mean, I'd come up with better names than Denali. But Denali was apparently a native tribal name. Name, exactly. Yeah. And I didn't know that they had been asking to have it changed for a I long time. I didn't either. So, yeah. And then all of a sudden – They're very happy about it. But then Iowa – or I think it's Ohio. They're all ticked off because McKinley was from Ohio. Yeah, so, so they're mad. Don't so get without even mad. knowing it – oh, well, he probably knew it. But Obama's now ticked <laughs> off Ohio. Oh, Which is never good. I know. It's never, never good. good. Well, thank you. Gosh, Kathy, good news. Interesting stuff. By the way, today, August 31st, Trail Mix Day. Today's the day of Trail Mix. I guess that's good. Trail Mix, it does a body good. Well, we're going to take a break, come back with our Washington Insider, get talking politics. Just start breaking up uh, all we can about, uh, you know, what they were talking about um, on all of the talk shows, the political world, what's going on. We'll get into all of it. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we always like to uh, just give you, you know, the next step. What's going on in the political world? Today, uh, again, joining us on the phone, Joe Cannon. He's our Washington insider. He was once the Utah Republican uh, Party chair here in the state of Utah. was a candidate for U.S. Senate. Also served in the Reagan administration uh, in the EPA, in the, the Environmental Protection Agency, was also the editor of the Deseret News, which is a really large kind of intermountain newspaper um, here uh, centered in Utah in the intermountain area. But we like to have Joe on because he's he's always in the know. In fact, I think today, right now, he's even calling us from the airport, probably on the way back to D.C. Joe, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry for the being at the airport here. I'm you actually bet. headed to the, to the other capital of the world, uh, the U.S. Oh, Vegas? Sacramento. Sacramento. Oh, Sacramento. Okay. (laughs) 
Not Vegas, then. All right. The, cap- the capital of another country, another one of the it is. Uh, large, large countries in the, in the world. California is like the another country. Um, talk to us. This political world is just, it seems to be highly predictable if you just you know pay attention to Trump. But um, what do you think? What's What do you see just as... Just give us your kind of general overview. What do you see overall happening? Jeb sliding, it seems like. Others are trying to get position. Just what's your overall take on what's going on politically? Well, you know, like what you're saying, Matt, the, the simple fact is Trump is sucking the air out of actually both campaigns. So we got to talk a little bit about the Democrats. Yeah, side. yeah. But, uh, but, you know, he's just a... Uh, He's so colorful, you know, he's so, um, une- well, he's unexpected in the political realm, so he just dominates the news. I mean, oh. it's very hard to turn on to get any political news without uh, Trump, 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 all the time Trump. Well, in fact, How, he, he however, hit, go ahead, go ahead. Something could be happening here, and that is the, um, you know, the, the latest Iowa poll, so it's just Iowa, it's not the national poll, but it's, but Iowa is important, obviously, because it's, it's not only the first, but it's it's where the rubber meets the road for a guy like um, Donald Trump. And you know he's pretty much leveled out. Has he? You know, he he's, he's at twenty three percent, which is good. Yeah. For him, for him, I don't know about for the rest of the world, but good for him. But that seems to be kind of the speed of light, and um, so it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Okay, when people actually have to sign up to go to the caucuses. Are they really? Are they really going to say this is the guy? And I, I don't know. But yeah, he's, he seems to be fairly stable, but that's masking lots of other things that are happening. So, just for example, I think in that in that Des Moines Register poll, you know, Jeb Bush has fallen to six percent. Mm. Um, Rubio is at six percent. John Kasich is only at two percent. But the, the biggest winner, I'd say, the biggest winner and the biggest loser are numbers two and three. Number two is Carson. Yeah, who got eighteen percent. So he's he's getting he's nudging up actually against Trump in Iowa, and while Walker is number three, he's eight. But that's down. Different polls have different things. But he's been as high as seventeen, I think, in Iowa. Most recent poll I could see is like twelve. But uh, he's down, and I think so. I think what's going on is is that beneath all the Trump stuff, the, uh, the, everybody else is looking at who's who's there, and I think the two big losers are Jeb Bush and uh, and Walker. Yeah. So so Bush um, Bush basically has dropped to six percent, I guess. Walker to eight percent. Carson has apparently taken their some of their votes or some of their percentages, but Carson, what would you say is what is the deal there? Because he's he's not flamboyant. He's almost is he just the counter Trump? Well, he is in almost every way possible the opposite of Donald yeah. Trump. He's a genuinely deeply humble guy, sweet person. I've I've heard him speak face to face. I've seen how he interacts with the audience. Uh, he is a terrific guy. Huge IQ. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think that Donald has. A, I don't know what his IQ is. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> of course, everybody else is stupid. So I guess by that definition, yeah. he's smart. Well, he went to Wharton. He tells us that all the time. 
A lot of people at the warden <laughs> who, yeah, if you contrast how Trump started out in life with a massively wealthy father and, you know, inheriting wealth and inheriting position, and Ben Carson, who couldn't have started out in a worse situation. Right. Um, and what Carson has done is just amazing. So, so at one level, I think people like him well because he's not the um, he's not a politician, which is clearly resonating yeah. uh, with a lot of people. But he's also not a schmuck, so he's not right Donald Trump. So if you're if you're in the category of people who's sick of politics and you want somebody who's smart and who can really engage. And is not full of himself. Is not arrogant. Is not self unaware. You're going to say, "Well, Ben Carson might be big at the gun." He has made a huge jump. Mm. What do you think about uh, um, Fiorina? Because she's she's now taking on CNN and the whole. You know, uh, are you going to let CNN choose your president thing? Well, you gotta like you gotta like Fiorina, although she's down in the you know in the deep single digits with everybody else in Iowa. So mm-hmm. like, at five percent, and I don't know what she's nationally, but she's not going to be much higher than that. I, um, you know, she's also branding herself. She's a fighter. She's not a politician. Yeah. Uh, so she's, she, you know, she's branding herself that way too. So um, I don't know. Her for her to fight with CNN is only upside for her. Because most of the people in the party are going to really like CNN. They're going to feel like they're unfair in general. And, wow, maybe they're being unfair to somebody who's clearly the biggest winner out of the Fox debates. The biggest winner was Carly Fiorina by almost everybody's estimation. Oh, it's so true. I mean, and it it really is just such an interesting race right now because you you can't – I don't know. It's almost like – he is sucking all of the air. Trump is sucking all of the air out of it. And none of these people know what to do with him. Like if somebody equated it to he is like Putin. He fights like Putin. And if you can't if somebody can't creatively come take on the Trump, uh, he very well could keep this up. Well, I mean, the funny thing of it is he could ever Whatever people criticize him on, he just turns around. Well, of course, what do you expect? The yeah. guy's weak, yeah. or the guy's stupid, or the guy's just a politician. What do you expect from a politician? He's going to attack somebody like me, because I'm the only honest guy in this picture. I'm the only guy who's going to tell you the truth. So no matter what you say about him, you know, you can point out things that would just destroy another person you know, who's pretending to run as a conservative Republican. Right. Uh, it, it destroys him. It would destroy anybody else when he says... Yeah, I used to believe in abortion. Now I don't. Okay, so that was that was yesterday. Today's today. <laughs> you know, on all these issues where he's taken demonstrably liberal or moderate stance that would not, you know, resonate with the base that he's trying to connect with, it's like he just well, what are you talking about? That was yesterday. Yeah, I'm the guy. I'm going to tell you the truth. Uh, I mean, the the whole the, the one thing where there could be a significant change. It does look like that he has a disproportionate, of his 23 25%, a disproportionate amount of that turns out to be uh, um, evangelical. And I think this last weekend, we haven't seen it in the polls yet, at least I haven't, but, uh, you know, when he was asked about the Bible, mm-hmm. what do you think about the Bible? Oh, it's my, it's my favorite book. Well, 
can you, what do you think about the New Testament verse of the Old Testament? Oh, they're both about the same. <laughs> well, can you tell us your favorite verse? Well, that's pretty personal. Yeah. The guy doesn't know anything yeah. about the Bible. And then the church that he claims to have gone to once a year on Easter, maybe Christmas, I don't know. Now they, they came out of New York and said, he's not one of our parishioners. He's, we don't know him. We don't know him. <laughs> they put all that together, and it might be, that might be the dawning of some, on the, on the part of some evangelicals who are saying, whoa, wait, wait a minute. We should go so far with the guy. <laughs> Anyway, I don't know. No, I that's a don't you think that's an interesting thing cuz now I think that's what they're all trying to do is uh beat Trump just by making him, you know, by getting more into the specifics, right? Breaking it down. You say, you know, you say you're a believer, you say you're faithful and then they go prove it. Show us how. Just and, slowly and, make him prove it. Yeah, and every one, every time he's pushed on Apollo's things, it comes out with it. We talked about this last week, but you know, it comes out with a you know, an immigration policy, when he's pushed on it, the answer is always, the answer to every question is because I'm Donald Trump. Yeah, trust me. That's the answer to every question. Yeah. (laughs) No matter what you could say, you can make all these substantive points about, you know, some of the crazy aspects of what he wants to do. No, because I'm Donald. Mm. (laughs) And don't worry, don't worry about that. I've got got it taken care of. Why do you think, we'll we'll do Donald another minute, but why do you think um, he's so unwilling to say he's he's fundraising because i mean he just he just held basically a fundraiser where people can donate and yet he fought the entire time saying it wasn't a fundraiser well there again he turns it all around he says well okay i'm doing a fundraiser but only for the little people i'm, I'm not looking for big donations yeah. i'm not looking for corporate stuff i'm just i'm just giving an opportunity for regular people to buy in to a popular campaign i don't need their money <laughs> Uh, I'm just. I'm That's just, it. Uh, I'm, I'm letting the people, you know. Yeah, I'm letting the people pay me. Uh, but yeah. see, I guess that's the point: is he's the anti-money uh, in politics guy. He can sit there and say money corrupts politics, so I'm not accepting any, except from the little people. Right. They can afford a hundred dollar a plate dinner. Right. Whatever. Exactly. Interesting. Okay, let's take a break. We're speaking with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. And uh, when we come back, we're going to hit the Democratic side. Man, there's a lot going on. Even Donald I th- started to suck. Uh, Hillary Clinton and Uma uh, Abedin, her aide, her number one um, aide, is uh, now getting sucked into this with some bad talk uh, from Trump. We'll get into that, folks. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us, waiting uh, to head to California, our good uh, Washington insider Joe Cannon joins us. He's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which you can find at fuelfreedom.org. It's an organization uh, designed um, with the mission of trying to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. So thank heavens for Joe Cannon. If you're getting lower fuel costs, maybe it's because Joe's out there working for you. Joe, welcome back, my friend. Hey, Matt. Thanks again. You bet. Hey, talk to me about, uh, so Donald Trump is now even, I guess now he's targeting Hillary a lot more than ever. And he he threw Hillary's aide, Uma Abedin, 
and her husband under the under the bus in a way that's pretty amazing. Let's listen to this clip. She's receiving this very, very important information and giving it to Hillary. Well, who else is she giving it to? Her husband has serious problems. And on top of that, he now works for a public relations firm. What she did is a very, very dangerous thing for this country. And probably it's a criminal act. She, ooh, so here we go. He's now throwing Hillary down and Uma, his assistant, and Uma, and he called her husband, uh, Anthony Weiner, a pervert. Okay. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> I mean, just Trump is, is what he is. I mean, and, and if, you're, if you're running in a Republican primary, you've got the most partisan of the most partisan people. You probably can't beat up on the Democrat front runner too much. No. Like a, where he's going. Well, this is where we finally need him fighting, right? I mean, this is where I would assume every Republican's like, yeah, go after her. Right. And I think he's, he's discovered. Who knows? Who knows what? Yeah, who knows what he's discovered? Brain. But if he were strategic, he'd be saying, maybe I ought to stop calling my fellow Republican stupid and turn my uh, attention to the Democrat. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what's on his brain. But what, the, what do you think about that, though? Is is a person's assistant is, is the is the political aide and their family? Is that a fair target? Well, boy, I don't know. I mean, uh, it it just depends. I mean, obviously, Huma Abedin is really crucial to Hillary. She had her own. She had her own emails on the same server. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that FBI thing is going. I just don't know. But she's clearly going to be caught up in that web. Uh, whether it's fair to her to go bombs away on her husband, who's also demonstrably a weird guy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know. That, that doesn't seem fair to me. But I don't think that's a calculus that operates in Donald Trump's brain. Yeah, he's not. He's not. He's not evaluating that necessarily ahead of time, is he? He's kind no, of winging it. Yeah, yeah. it. But I mean, that that's one of the big things is, I mean, having taking on Hillary would probably um, buy him a lot of goodwill with the Republicans, even as he's simultaneously beating up Republicans. So, I mean, in a way, there might be a little, you know, he's a smart, he is a street smart guy. He knows you can only beat one person so long. That's that's exactly right. He's street smart, and he's also, remember, apart from all of his brilliance as a real estate developer, self-described brilliance as a, as a real estate developer, he's mostly been a performer for the last several years. Yeah, right. He's performed on TV in, a, in an unscripted, generally unscripted uh, kind of a program. I've personally never seen it, so I don't know, but just hearing what people say. So he's, he's, he's gotten a lot of experience talking off-script, to a camera. So you know, that's, a, that's a pretty important skill, and it's a skill a lot of people don't have. I did want to make a footnote based on, you know, uh, about Ben Carson's rise, mm-hmm. and it might be connected to the fact, as I mentioned there's a little bit of a, in my mind, there, sooner or later there's going to be a disconnect between the evangelicals and Trump. But um, Ben Carson is a genuine article yeah. when it comes to evangelicalism that could be that to that set of voters in um, Iowa, he's really resonating. He's also, he is so the opposite of Trump that I wonder if in the end, I mean, I think he's fascinating and brilliant and an incredible story and a minority, which I think would be so powerful. Um, And also, I've just noticed he's just so nice. 
Trump's just so mean, and a lot of people love it, and Carson's nice. Can Carson toughen up? Well, you know, he's a surgeon. I'm sure he's tough enough to do whatever needs to be. I mean, yeah. He made a life decision early on to not be angry, and he's really stuck to that. He tells a very compelling story about how he almost killed somebody as a teenager, and, mm. you know, and he just said, no, that was wrong. And I'm I'm not going to ever let myself be angry again. I think that he's conditioned himself to that for so long. Yeah. Whereas uh, Trump is appealing to the angry man. That's what he's the angry person. That's what he's doing. Well, yeah, Carson. And, well, and too, what just a, he's just an, an incredible example to all of us. I think. Yeah. Talk about what's going on with Sanders. Even uh, Bernie Sanders on the Democratic side sneaking up, and um, he still keeps. You know, chipping away at the lead uh, at Hillary's lead. Well, that's what I, that's what I think the the biggest story that is being masked by the all Trump all the time deal is that that Hillary's numbers are deteriorating. And in, in the the same latest Iowa poll that we we're talking about on the, on the Republican side, she's basically she's number one. She's thirty thirty seven percent, but Sanders is thirty percent. Yeah. And if you add up Sanders and Biden. And uh, O'Malley, these are all small numbers, but you add everything up, 50% of the Iowa, you know, supposed people are going to go, go, go to the Iowa caucuses on the Democrat side, 50% are saying, not Hillary. Right. And she's, she's at 37%. That is, that's a, that's a devastating. And, and it shows that, that, like Bush on the other side, Yeah, there was a headline that's basically the Bush and Clinton dynasties are fading. And it's it's an interesting thing because now with um, with Biden in, he, I think, is polling like 14 percent. He He's not even in the race yet, and he's still polling that high. Do you think he's going to get in? It's so hard to know because, you know, he's, he's run for president. Once you're infected with that, you know, aspiration, you want it. Yeah. Added to the fact that he's currently the vice president, added to the fact that there is a deep animosity on the inside between the Clintons and the Obamas, uh, there's, there are a lot of reasons he could run and want to run. Then last week he made that comment, you know, I don't know if I have the fire in my belly comment. I mean, that seems like he's shooting himself in the foot. Because he's got to go out and lure in all of the all of the you know the people that are going to be paying for this thing. Well, first of all, uh, it's not an uncommon thing for Biden to say some errant comment that yeah, phrase. I know. So who knows what he was thinking? He may have been strategic by thinking, "Look, we've got all these leaks. I'm kind of teed up as much as I need to be teed up. Not ready to pull the trigger. So maybe I ought to say something." Mm. I, again, I don't yeah, know yeah. what's going on in, on his mind, but I do know he wants to run. He wants to be president. Uh, he thinks he could be president. Clearly, there's uh, blood in the water. You know, the shark attacks on uh, on Hillary, right? And and so he's going, wow, I, I got kind of a pretty big opening here. Do you think he? So where does he fit politically in relation to? Um, was Hillary more to the center of the Democratic side? And uh, and um, 
Sanders is much, much more to the left. Would Biden fall in between? I think he would probably fall in between. I think that's a good place to say where he is perceived to be on the Democratic side. But they're all going to be rushing to the left because Sanders has shown, wait a second, I got at least a third of these voters, and they are hardcore uh, on the left. And to win the nomination, just like on the Republican side, you've got to really go go further right than most people really are. On the on the Democrats, they have to go further left mm. than most people are, even in the Democrat Party. So uh, they're all going to be trying to crowd that space out. I think what he's going to be, what his main message is, but you, with me, you get Bernie and somebody who can get elected, somebody who can pick up the Obama mantle, the the Obama uh, legacy, yeah. and you know you can be safe with me. And I could win, and maybe maybe Hillary can't. So I think he's, it's, with him, it's not so much ideological as it is. But you got you have an alternative here. Mm-hmm. Does what is the deal with O'Malley? Why isn't he gaining any ground? Well, you know, when you look at um, uh, all the polls, and this includes the Republican as well as Democrats. You know, the governor of Maryland is not going to be known by more than a few percent of the people. Okay. But the, even even today, you know, uh, 50% of the people don't know who Ted Cruz is. Right. Uh, and he's had a lot of PR, a lot of, you know, national press. So so you've got a um, – you just have a – you have a, a, a big, big, big problem with name ID. It's just a big problem. Yeah, and that's I guess that's what you need the money for, right, to just go push the name. I guess that's why Trump, you know, immediately surged – just because he had a name, name recognition. Yeah, it is, it's sure. He's got big name ID. He's the, he's the most the guy who's appeared in front of more TV eyeballs than anybody else. Yeah. You know? uh, so that's, but that's why Iowa is so doggone important, uh, because there, and that's why O'Malley's there, because in Iowa and New Hampshire, two relatively small states uh, where retail politics pays off, that's where O'Malley's hoping to connect. Hmm. And if he, you know, if he can make a, a big showing, just say he comes in second place or even third place, then then he heads to New Hampshire. Uh, of course, you know Sanders has a big advantage in New Hampshire, but um, you know he can, if, if O'Malley can show he's got any level of credibility, he'll attract some support. What What do you uh, think about Hillary? It seems like she's she knows she's kind of a little bit back on the ropes. And she's now coming out. I don't know if you heard her comment about the Republicans and their treatment of women are like terrorists, basically. And so she she made the well, uh, the old comparison. So one of the comparisons to Nazis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she's she's basically identifying half of the population of the United States as terrorists. But you know, it turns out those half are never going to vote for her. Yeah. And the people who are going to vote for her, she needs to stimulate in the biggest way, and she also needs to show. That, that this is the coronation, and no matter what she has said from the beginning, she has acted as though it's a coronation. Yeah, right. The poor guy conclusion, and then to avoid that, she's now going to come out. I think, and, and look, somebody said, "Hey, you got to fight for this." Though. And so, so now she's okay. Red me to the base. Is it? Is it possible? Uh, I know the numbers they say are so against winning the presidency without the Hispanic vote, except we 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 run we run state by state, really. So is it possible to win the presidency and not have the Hispanic vote? Uh sure it is for the time being. I mean over time that becomes 
become less true. But if you look at the greatest aggregations of the Hispanic vote, just take California, Texas, and New York, and, mm-hmm. and uh, Florida, where it may make a big difference, and I'll come back to that. But those three biggest states, uh, where it makes sense, they're all, New York and California are always going to vote blue, no matter what happens. Texas is pretty likely to vote red, no matter what happens no matter how many Hispanics are in any of those states. Mm-hmm. Florida might make a difference, but there, a chunk of the Floridans, Floridians are Cuban voters, and they tend to vote more Republican. In any case, I'm going to go way out on a limb and say there is going to be a Hispanic on the Republican national ticket. My view is very likely to be Rubio, either as president or as vice president, and that will go a long way yeah. into, and if Bush turns things around, uh you know, there's a guy with a, a deep credibility, and his wife is Mexican. Uh-huh. He speaks fluent Spanish. So I, I don't think when it comes right down to the end, I think the Republicans in this year, no matter all of that, no matter all the Trump nativism and meanness uh, and just really outright stupid derogatory stuff that he says uh, about immigrants, uh, plenty of them will have reason to vote for Republicans. Yeah. I mean, when you think about that, that's that's a. I mean, especially too, because with a Trump, you also get the idea, the whole idea of if a Rubio became a vice presidential candidate, you could swing Florida. You also, Trump keeps claiming he can, he's going to own Nevada because he's got a hotel there. Well, Nevada is pretty likely to be a Republican state anyway, even though it's a national election. Yeah, it's tended not to be, but there's are no statewide elected Democrats in Nevada today, huh. uh, other than Harry Reid. Right, and right. He's not running, and he's not running again. But if you look at the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, all Republicans, and and uh, and uh, Heller, senator, the other senator, is a Republican. So it's it, you know, I notwithstanding the whole history, I think there's a pretty big chance that, that Nevada is going to be in the R, the Republican column. You know, it's such an interesting thing, and we're so far out, too, huh, that who knows anymore? I know, that's the other thing. It's, 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 who, who knew months ago that we'd be where we are today? And I'm going to say in another six months, all kinds of things could happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot that can happen. I mean, the whole Hillary thing could go one way or another. You know, more information comes out, charges or whatever. Trump, some dirt could come. I mean, that's what's crazy about this. Joe, what do we, anything else we need to talk about before we let you go? Anything pressing that you see in the news that uh, is something we really need to focus on? You know, yeah, there are plenty of things in the news, but I, I think that, I, I can't think of something right now, no. Okay. Well, Joe, we appreciate you. Have fun in uh, the wonderful uh, country of California. Hey, thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you, Joe. Fly safely. Really um, interesting stuff, isn't it? It's such an interesting debate and discussion. And what I love is just seeing what happens. I mean, the politics. And just think of who you favor right now and why. Why do you, if you love Trump, why do you love Trump? If you're fighting for Hillary, what is it? We have a lot of rhetoric, right? We have a lot of stuff that they all say. But what's really swaying your vote? Love to hear from you. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. If you got insight on that, we'd love to take your calls. Anyway, interesting stuff. Let's take a break. Come right back. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. friends to the Matt Townsend show. You know, we we found an interesting article that uh man, we're we're living in the in the most I think interesting time you could have ever lived in. It used to just be, you know, natural that you would just use the pronoun he or she, right? Yeah, he's, you know, he's new to the school or she's yeah, she's new in the class. But according to the University of Tennessee, they are encouraging students to use gender-neutral program or pronouns to help their students feel more welcome to classes this month. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's excellent. Um, the pronouns include Z, her, H-I-R, here, I guess, here's, Z, Zem, Zir. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Where's Smithers? Isn't so? We're not using he, she, they, them. We're using here, here, here's, z, zem, zir. Huh? And the goal they say is to be more inclusive. With the new semester beginning and an influx of new students on campus, it's important to participate in making our campus welcoming and inclusive for all. I totally get that. One way to do this is to use a student's chosen name and their correct pronouns. The goal is to create a more inclusive campus university. Um, that's that's the goal, according to Donna Brackett, who um, is help has been posting these things on the university website. She said we should not assume someone's gender by their appearance, nor by what is listed on a roster or in a student information systems. Said Donna, she's the director of the University of Tennessee's Pride Center. Transgender people and people who do not identify within gender binary may use different names than their legal name and pronouns of their gender um, rather than the pronouns of the sex that they were assigned at birth. Right. So if they're transgender, we can't just assume it's a he or a she because she looks she has the female body. They may not associate with that. And so it's creating this, I think, confusion for what are we supposed to do? And And I don't even know if it's just political correctness. I really don't. I think it's. The complexity of choices are becoming so great. And we found a really interesting uh, little bit by the, the comedian Colin Quinn, who's, who just really – I think he just summarizes nicely. We don't know what to call people anymore. So let's listen to Colin Quinn on political correctness. But if you even mention ethnicity, people feel a little bit t- – your stomach feels tense. If you even mention someone's ethnicity, everyone's like, wow, wow. If I told you a true story, this Mexican guy came up to me, ho, whoa. Why does this guy have to be Mexican in your true story? I don't understand. You know, you have to speak in those idealized, pasteurized, homogenized, colorblind at all. You know, you feel, if you notice, you're like, this guy comes up to me, could have been Mexican. I don't know. I don't care. I shouldn't have been a Central American, Hispanic, Latino. It was a man, all right? Wait a minute. I was sexist. I don't know if it was a man. Could have been a woman. Could have been LGBT. I don't know. I mean, it was a life form came up to me. You know what? Hold on. I'd like to uh, start the story by apologizing for 
obviously, I'm coming from a place of Western entitled, unconscious, paternalistic fear of the other, and um, you know, non-heteronormative, gender-specific. Uh, I'd like to start by saying that this apology has been a learning experience for me, and a, you know, a teachable moment. And I think I'm going to do some soul searching, and hopefully, down the line, I can start a nonprofit for other people that are telling stories. You know. And sure, you applaud, but half the country, when you tell that apology, groveling, they're like, now you're starting to understand. So true. Okay, there's this life form. That's, that's all you're left with is a life form. My son went and served a mission in Mexico. And when he comes back, and I'm like, so, so tell me about the Mexican people. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling like, is that racist to say? Like, can I not ask him about Mexicans? And do they call themselves Mexicans? He's like, well, sure, they're from Mexico. But I feel weird saying it. Do you feel that weird? Isn't it interesting? We don't even know what to call each other anymore. Well, you shouldn't call anybody anything. Okay, then life forms. Hello, fellow life form. What can I do for you? Folks, are we becoming too sensitive? Probably. And, uh, you know, it's also we're becoming more aware. So uh, with the sensitivity becomes the awareness. Now we just got to figure out how to bridge the gap. We'll take a break. Hour number two next hour. Stick with us. We'll be back after the news. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. How are you? Hour number two of the program. Man, we got a great uh, we got a great guest coming up in just a few minutes. A few minutes, Greg McKeon will be joining us. Uh, he is the CEO of This Inc. and he's a New York Times bestseller of the book Essentialism: The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And he's he's really talking about if you can't get down to what's essential in your life, and and by the way, which is really counterintuitive, right? Because your life keeps growing and trying to creep bigger and bigger into things that aren't necessarily essential. Holy cow, you're going to be in trouble. In fact, it's interesting to have this this guest on because, um, sadly, the passing of Wayne Dyer, motivational guru, best-selling author Wayne Dyer, died at 75. You know, as somebody that studies these, these guys, uh, whether it's Covey or Dyer and all of these great authors, Deepak Chopra— you know, it's sad when you lose one. Wayne Dyer, I, I remember reading so many of his books. One of his books I know you've, you may have heard of called Your Erroneous Zones was um, basically designed to help you figure out how to let go of your, your bad thinking, your ineffective, unhealthy thinking. It was a national bestseller, sold out in many um, – 35 million copies sold, by the way. When you think of the average book is about 300 copies is how many the average book sells. Are you? I never yeah. knew that. Three hundred. Yeah, and there's about three hundred new book, three hundred thousand new books published every year, I believe. Wow. And the average book sells, you know. Was he influential yeah. to you? Totally. In fact, he. Um, there's so many books. Just 
I, I mean, I, I have probably on my phone, I don't know, 30 audio CDs of his mm. and just different things. You've probably seen him on PBS. He was always Very, a big yeah, I've, I've supporter heard of times, PBS. Yes. Eighth, uh, last year, um, Mind, Body, Spirit magazine ranked Dyer as the eighth most spiritually influential person in the world. Who's mm. number one? I don't know. Let's go there. I'll go check that out. Because it's when you think about it, he he had a really tough upbringing. He was abused. I mean, he was he had a hard life. He had to. His dad left his family. He ended up being a foster child, mm. and wow. uh, had a had a really tough life. At some point, got a PhD. Was a therapist. Also. Just kind of left it all to go be a monk. The number one on that most spiritually influential person was the Dalai Lama. Mm, interesting. Number two, Eckhart Tolle, Pope Francis, number three. It's really interesting because a lot of these people you may not have even heard of. Deepak Chopra is, a, is sixth. Oprah, seventh. Wayne Dyer, eighth. Isn't that interesting? She's above him? Yeah. Mm, interesting. I, I mean, I guess that's what happens when you have, you're, when you have power and pull, mm-hmm. and then you draw everybody to become more spiritual. Right, yeah. It's um it's an interesting it's a it's it's a sad loss. He had cancer and had been fighting cancer, I guess. They haven't told exactly what he died of. Um but he also officiated at uh Ellen DeGeneres' wedding to Portia de Rossi, I think her name is. Um anyway, sad loss. Sad loss. So, you know, our prayers are with Dr. Dyer, who who again is was so into peace and just Everything about him was good. It was just finding good. Yeah. Every time I heard him, I just I smiled. He was it was all positive. It's which, such you know, a was nice. And it's nice to have people like that very nice. on Earth, right? Mm-hmm. Very, very. Whatever true. your faith or your belief system, you can still appreciate anybody that's fighting for more peace mm-hmm. and more goodness. love. So yeah, just goodness. Sad a sad day uh, with that. Uh, if if there is any, <laughs> uh, I was going to say, if there's anything that could. Make you feel better. It it could be knowing that Hulk Hogan Hulk Hogan wants to run for vice president with Donald Trump. Mm. Does that make you feel better? Boy, that just sums up the whole thing, doesn't it? <laughs> Would you not rather have Wayne oh, Dyer back? <laughs> very much. Hello. Take Wayne back. Oh, make Wayne Dyer Hulk president. Hogan. Oh, yeah. Hello. So that's 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 good news. That's apparently the kids love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kids love Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Oh my heavens! Well, it kind of matches Trump in a way, which is well, yeah. Well, when you can have, if you can have Trump be the the language and Hogan be the muscle, you got it made. We'll get that wall built (laughs) one way or another. (laughs) Give me a chair to break over someone's head. Anyway, crazy stuff. Let's go to the rest of the headlines with Kathy Aiken and find out what's going on. The man charged with capital murder in the fatal shooting of a Houston sheriff's deputy will be in court this morning. 30-year-old Shannon Miles is charged with capital murder when he allegedly shot 10-year veteran Deputy Darren Goforth Friday night. Here's Harris County District Attorney Devin Anderson. There are a few bad apples in every profession. That does not mean that there should be open warfare declared on law enforcement. Officials say there is no evidence the two knew each other and the attack was clearly unprovoked. They believe Goforth was a target because he wore a police uniform. Hundreds of residents joined in a prayer walk in the officer's honor last night. An Arizona woman has been arrested and charged with drowning her her twin two-year-old sons yesterday. 22-year-old Myria Lopez, who admitted to the killings, tried to drown another family member before she was stopped by a relative. The woman faces two counts of homicide and one count of attempted homicide. President 
Obama is on his way to Alaska today trying to raise a sense of urgency to deal with what he believes to be serious climate change in the U.S. and overseas. The trip is the first by a sitting president. Before his trip, Obama made news by renaming Mount McKinley, the highest peak in North America, to Denali. The change was made in recognition of Alaska natives who have asked for the change for many years. Meanwhile, lawmakers from Ohio are angry with the change since former President William McKinley, who the mountain was previously named for, was from Ohio. In the latest poll out of Iowa, Bernie Sanders is gaining ground on Hillary Clinton. The poll shows Sanders now trails Clinton by just seven percentage points in that state. The poll from the Des Moines Register also says Clinton has lost a third of her support in Iowa since May. On the GOP side, Donald Trump continues to lead with 23 percent of the vote. Ben Carson, however, not far behind at 18 percent. Speaking of presidential contenders. And yes, as you probably could have guessed by this moment, I have decided in 2020 to run for president. Yeah, the kids are excited. Yeah, that was Kanye West, by the way, at last uh, night's VMA Awards. you got to love it. And a woman from China, Matt, was recently making a connecting fr- hmm. flight from Beijing to, I'm just going to guess this, Wenzhou. Nope. When airport security told her the bottle of cognac was over the legal limit to carry on. So, not wanting to, you know, Don't waste, your waste the $200 bottle, the woman opened it, drank the entire bottle. The woman became so intoxicated, she was rolling on the floor and acting erratically, which, yeah, was really odd, huh? At the boarding gate. She was not allowed on her flight, so they found a place she could rest. After several hours, she woke up and was later escorted home by her family, which oh, I'm sure we're wow. quite proud. <laughs> There's mommy. So you didn't bring me anything, mom? Well, I had to drink it, honey. I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is why I'm rolling on the ground. Isn't yes. that crazy? Yes. But have you ever done that when you're sitting at the gate and you've got like a half a bottle oh. of water? I was so mad. I had my favorite perfume, and literally, the bottle was probably—I'm guessing—six ounces. But there were maybe an ounce. So Did I you thought, drink I'm get, it. You drank it. No, they took it from me. I was so mad. I go, "There's not—that's not even three ounces." But because the bottle was <sighs> bigger than three ounces, even though there's maybe an ounce, they took it away in Denver. I was uh, so mad. My favorite perfume. I was so mad. Stuff like that just I'm drives me crazy. Like, it, what am I going to do with this one ounce mm-hmm. of perfume? Well, then I get neurotic. Like, I don't know what an ounce looks like <laughs> or feels like. You know what I mean? So is this like three ounces? Is yeah, this is acceptable? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I always look at the little lotion or hand sanitizer to make sure it's not yeah. over three ounces because I know they're very picky. Have you have you flown lately? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's weird. Well, it's it's you know it's funny. Salt Lake, I'm I'm deciding is one of the more strict. Is are they okay? Yes, you go to other places and they're definitely they come not. on through. Some you have to have it out in the open in the little baggie so they see it. Others they don't even care. It's I wish that they just kind of had mm-hmm. a uniform way of doing it, yeah. but they're all different. I have to get undressed. <laughs> I have to take my shoes off, a coat have you off, had a knee my pants or off. No, but. I act as if I do. Well, my husband has had both knees replaced, so he just said, "I'm I'm going to beep. Just take me off to the side." He does every time. Does he? He has beep? to get checked every time. And then he then they take him off into some yeah, crazy some room, over, and yeah, he comes out with his hair all messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, the zippers down. Henry, your yeah. zippers down. What, what, what was going on in there? What is that? What they is were that? checking my knees. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I feel bad for him every time. We just know it. So we just kind of go ahead and save him a seat. You should, I guess, just wear clothes that don't demand. (laughs) I mean, easy on, easy off. Just sweatpants with the, you know, the tie string. I mean, really, I've seen, you almost wonder if people just should get undressed to make this thing (laughs) happen. Make it easier. Just walk through, lady. Oh, and then and then there's always the one person that really struggling. Yes, you know what I mean. Getting everything. Well, what's back scary on. is the one that has the um, you know the stroller packed with things. Oh. You wonder really what is in there. Yeah, yeah. They have a child that kind of is you know right. A, the, the a good child, decoy. He's got like five o'clock shadow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
Something's wrong with your kid there. He looks like he's got a heavy beard. Anyway, good stuff, Kathy. Uh, interesting. Um, man, traveling nowadays. Crazy town. Hey, we're going to go to uh, a break, come back with um, our next guest and topic. You ever just felt like you got too much going on in your life? And, and it just it's good. It's all good stuff. But would you believe that some of this good might be keeping you from finding the best? We will be talking about essentialism and uh, the discipline of pursuing less, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we live in the day and age of just a lot of information, don't we? A lot of opportunities, and many of them really, really good opportunities. So how do we kind of sort through it all? How do we get through the all of these important things in our lives and figure out what is the most essential thing that we need to be doing in our work, in our family, in life in general. Joining us on the phone today is the author of the book Essentialism, a New York Times bestseller, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. Uh, Greg McKeon is with us, and he is going to help us sort through what uh, what we can do to actually make sure that uh, we, we remain capable, viable, and productive in our lives. Uh, Greg McKeon, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm so happy to be with you. So great to have you. This is, I think, honestly, I, I, I've been wanting you on the show for a while because I, I saw a YouTube, um, uh, a YouTube video that you put out there, and I thought, holy cow, I need this so bad. There are so many good things that are vying for our time and our attention that it seems like, honestly, we, we just we don't even know how to lead ourselves anymore. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that we have been uh, sort of oversold the value of more and undersold the value of less. Uh, We have been sold in a way a bill of goods, which says, look, if you can fit it all in, you can have it all, Mm. Uh, which sounds really good, but uh, actually turns out not to be true. And that's its its one inconvenient, uh, you know, downside. And so I think a lot of people feel caught up in uh, in in this sense of uh, I've just got to got to do more, I've got to do everything that everybody else is doing. Well, it can be definitely overwhelming for people. And, and it also seems like so it works. Like, so I do something really good and I, I do it well and I nail it and everybody loves me and and then I progress and then I get promoted and but it almost seems like sometimes the more successful I get, the more it it might actually be hindering me. Well, that's absolutely right. This paradox of success is something I noticed at first working with uh, leaders in Silicon Valley, where when they were focused on the right few things, it led to success. Uh, they became the go-to person. You know, they, they, they got new options and opportunities, and that sounds like the right problem to have, but it does, in fact, turn out to be a problem. Uh. If it leads to what Jim Collins called the undisciplined pursuit of more. Uh, and, uh, and, and, in, in, and in the case that that happens, uh, then, and I'm slightly exaggerating the case here, but success becomes a catalyst for failure. Uh, and so, so they, this is, uh, we have to be very careful 
to make sure that we deliberately, and before we have to, pursue the antidote to this problem. And the antidote is the disciplined pursuit of less but better. Mm. And, I mean, discipline in and of itself uh, probably has a lot of people like, oh, boy. But obviously your your advice is is valuable. Companies like Twitter, Google, LinkedIn, Pixar, Facebook, these are all companies that are calling you in and want you to come work with their people. Um Talk about talk about what what you teach. What I mean, it's one thing to be capable; it's another thing to be disciplined, isn't it? Well, I think the example that comes to mind in response to your question is a true example of an individual doing award-winning work at one of these tech companies here in Silicon Valley, uh, and then he gets recognized for that work. So does the company he's working for. And partially because of the award-winning work he'd done, that company gets purchased by a larger, more bureaucratic firm. But when he goes into the new company, he's so eager to do a good job and so eager to be a good team player that he starts to say yes to almost everything and everyone without really thinking about it. And the effect of that is that uh, his stress just starts going up at the same time as the quality of his work is going down. He almost thinks to leave the company. In the, in the end, he decides to do something counterintuitive, which is to retire in role, mm. uh, which means he said, look, imagine I was only being paid for the value I create and not how many hours I put in and not how many appointments I take and not how much stuff I have, just contribution. Uh, and that meant that was a totally different lens, an essentialist lens. Uh, and, uh, and by the end of that year, what he had found the result was that he got his life back. He was going to the gym every night with his wife. He was uh, he was eating dinner with his wife, with his family. He was able yeah, at work uh, to have one of the most productive years of his whole life. He, he was, uh, performance evaluation went up, and he, he got one of the largest bonuses of his whole career. Hmm. Uh, you, you can listen to a story like that and say, well, that's just one-off. It's all right for him. It doesn't work for everybody. But what I think is at play here, is something very basic, is, is, is universally applicable as basic arithmetic, which is this. You can either do very, very many things averagely well, or you can do a few things superbly well. And that if you do the latter strategy, then you are far more likely to operate at your highest point of contribution and, uh, and to be recognized for doing so. Hmm. That is... And, and it's it's so interesting. I didn't even think about the fact that a lot of what we do has nothing to do with what we do well. And a lot of what we're after, you know, and we're being paid, like you said, just for our time when we're not even being paid for what we're contributing, per se. It's this is it's a, it's almost we've we've kind of built of we meaning, I guess, the uh, industrial, not even the, I guess just the the commercial world has built a fairly awkward system that gets us doing not necessarily what's essential. And it, it yeah, probably burns us out. Oh, it was certainly true. And I think it has, uh, I think it has three generations to it. I think that the first generation of this problem of non-essentialism uh, came around uh, in the industrial revolution. I mean, let me just give an example of this. So uh, the word priority itself came into the English language in the 1400s. And it was singular. Uh, what did it mean? The very first thing, the prior or most important thing. 
uh, very sensibly, it stayed singular for the next 500 years. Yeah, wow, yeah. Uh, and it was only in the and it was only in the 1900s that uh, you know, as, as industrial revolution took on, that we pluralized the term and started speaking of priorities. Mm. But, but can you have very, very many very first or prior things? I mean, of course not. Uh, but but somehow that should should instruct us that something was changing in our culture, something to do with uh, the, 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 something to do with a certain lens of productivity, a machine approach to productivity uh, was taking, uh, you know, was taking place uh, in the way we thought about people and the way we thought about each other. And so this was generation one. Generation two happened after the Second World War. We've become incredibly successful as a country, and the Western world had. Uh, had, had survived, but but a lot of benefits had come, especially to America through uh, through the, the through the war efforts, uh, financially and so on, and industry. And so, as people come back from the Second World War, the country's actually doing fairly well financially. But there's this massive uh, void that's been created from the the devastation of that war. Uh, and and instead of dealing with it, we just moved forward with what I've thought of as a pan M strategy. Uh, which is, uh, you know, circus and bread. That's what that means. It's a Latin term for circus and bread. Hmm. Uh, and so there was this distraction, uh, you know, mentality. And this is where all the time-saving devices came in and all the, all the, all the um, uh, you know, the television, radio, you know, suddenly had it, it began its heyday. And, uh, and so all of this happened on top of this false non-essentialism of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, I'm giving you more of an answer than you care for. No, but that's great. Generation. Keep going. The third part, the third part of the, gen- the third generation of non-essentialism happened in the last ten years, as we've shifted from being connected to hyper-connected, and and the important shift there is that we've gone from uh, information overload, which we all know about, but it's changed now. It's opinion overload, hmm. and so in this new environment, that's all context for the challenge. For every person listening today, it's not of their own making. It's not like this is just, well, you know, you just, you just say yes to too many things, you know, it's just, it's just all on you, you know, you just have to change this. No, there is a deep cultural uh, heritage uh, of this problem. And again, as with everything that I, as, as I mentioned before, the problem is it's not true. So, what, what happens when you start celebrating an idea that isn't in fact true or isn't completely accurate is that you create a bubble. You create an overvalued asset, and people start getting all into this idea, but because it's not true, it can't be sustained, just mm-hmm. like the real estate bubble. It wasn't based on something true. It wasn't based on a true valuation. In this case, what we have started to celebrate, because of the reasons I just mentioned and outlined, is we believe that busyness is an evidence of importance. And so people are consumed with looking like they're busy, putting their kids in everything, and out-competing each other with how much they stuff into their already overstuffed lives. And, and the whole thing will burst because yeah. it's based on a fallacy. It's based on something that isn't true. This is not how people thrive. This is not how people break through to the next level. So that's what we have to face is, basically an untrue idea, and we have to figure out what is true and replace it with that truth. Well, and like a market that a market that's hyperinflated and isn't a, isn't an accurate reflection of the market, it's going to have a market correction. We we seem to do that in our lives, 
you know, sometimes at midlife where we're like, what am I doing? Or even our kids, we're finding out that our children are more, you know, they're more likely to feel anxiety today than children 20, 30 years ago. They're more likely to be burnt out. Suicide levels are going up. All of these different indicators might be the signs of a correction. Well, this is, this is right. What I think is that we're in, uh, we could be in a tipping point. Uh, there is, the, you know, humanity is, uh, is really good at making change when the pain is great enough. Yeah. Uh, before that, not so much. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but as a society, they're, they're, we are beginning to see, uh, you know, evidences of the, of the fallacy of this bubble. You know, we can see this isn't working. You know, somebody came up to me the other day and they said, I said, how are you? They said, oh, I'm so busy. I said, I'm so busy. I've only slept on average four hours a night for the last two weeks. And, and she's smiling, you see. She's celebrating. <laughs> Look at me. She's telling me, I am important. I have yeah. so much to do. I'm so important. I've done this. And, and she didn't know, of course, that she was speaking to, uh, you know, to, to uh, an essentialist. Right? Yeah, or to a, you. A, an aspiring essentialist. Right. And, and so we ended up having an unusual conversation about this. She emailed me a few weeks ago. She said, I really have started sleeping eight hours a night now. And I just feel so much better. But also, I feel my productivity going up. And that's a perfect illustration of this point. We've been talking quite conceptually about these generations of this problem and so on. But, but just thinking about this concretely, we have been taught that one hour less sleep equals one hour more productivity. Right. I mean, that is an industrial age idea that has moved into hypergear in the last 10 years. Yeah. Just sleep less and get more done. But, we, but what we know, what we know is it's not true. What you get if you have people sleep four hours a night is, uh, you know, a massive reduction in their ability to discern what's important. No, absolutely. Oh, man, it's so true. The equivalent equivalent of being drunk. Uh, And so so you can have a a situation where people who would never dream of being drunk uh, would never never dream of celebrating uh, people who are drunk, still behaving, still following a behavior that leads to the same kind of outcome. That is, uh, is, is, is an important insight. No, I think, it's, I think you're dead on, and it's, it really is something we have to address. Let's, let's do this. We're talking with Greg McKeon. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Essentialism. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion, find out what we can do to start to, to find the meaningful life. How do we start saying no and pushing back on a lot of these uh, these illusions that we might have bought into. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Holy cow, we're digging into it today. Uh, Greg McKeon is on the phone with us, and he is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. He's helping us to um, rewrite maybe some of the myths, some of the things, uh, or just kind of the culture that we may have built as a society 
that that focuses on the belief that uh, you know if you just work harder, just there's always more. Sleep less and just keep doing more, and the more you do, the more you'll have done, and life will be so great. This idea of more, more, more instead of less uh, is really the focus of his book, and he's teaching us how to focus on what is essential. Greg McKeon, welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's great to be with you. You bet. Honored to have you. Um, talk about uh, where do we begin? Where do we begin to to kind of change this mentality of more, 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 and get back to what's essential? Well, I think that uh, we have to begin by uh, by creating space to figure out what is essential. Uh, so I didn't write a book called Noism. I wrote a book called Essentialism. Yeah, it's, it's not a it's not about saying no. It's about saying yes to the essential, and therefore needing to say no to the non-essential. And so I think if somebody does just one thing to uh, to be able to move towards living their life as an essentialist, it would be to hold a personal quarterly offsite. Uh, so I spent the last year working with my team answering this question, what is the best way to become an essentialist? And uh, there's so many ways one could approach it that don't work. There uh, are so many ways that are frustrating. So how do you do it? What's the best way? And we, we, we actually created a program uh, called Essential. Hmm. Uh, and people can, you know, people apply for the program. Not everyone applies gets in. Uh, we're looking for a very particular kind of person, someone who's nice, someone who's full of life, and they're really serious about breaking through to the next level personally and professionally. And we gather them together in these groups. Uh, we, just, uh, we just held the, the uh, you know, program last week, so it's on my mind. Um, but, but it was amazing to watch these people. These were successful, all, every one of them successful. But every one of them also struggling with the unintended consequences of success. And to watch them just carve out a whole day to work together and think together and plan together what is your most essential and highest contribution was an amazing experience, a liberating experience for everybody there. And we've came away from it. Every one of us came away from it. Going, How is it possible that this isn't normal? Yeah. How is it possible that we don't take one day in 90 to figure out what the very best contribution is in the other 89 days? What To design our life uh, instead of allowing other people to design it for us. Uh, and so I think this is the thing somebody can do. I mean, of course, they can actually apply to be in this program. Uh, but, uh, but, but beyond that, yeah, they can hold their own personal quarterly offsite. They can say, look, I'm taking a day. I'm going to ask myself what really matters and make my long-term plan uh, and, and then break that down into quarterly goals and, and pursue it. Uh, that's, I think, one thing everybody can do. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting. We don't take the time to do it. And I think then when we do it, we loved it. And you guys, like, it sounds like you had a great experience and everyone was learning and it was profound. But it almost seems like the next time will be almost just as difficult to do it again. It's it's we get in that routine, don't we? Where the other eighty nine days overwhelm, even though there's so much clarity that you had in that one day. It seems like that would help us. Yeah, this is. I mean, first of all, this is. I mean, actually, this is why we we launched it as an official program rather than simply just teaching it. And we have taught it, uh, yeah, very openly what we do and, and and the things that people can do themselves. They can read this on blogs and articles. Uh, that I've written at Harvard Business Review and elsewhere. But what I've also learned is that despite people's reaction of, oh, yeah, I need to do that, 
you know, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I'm going to start holding a personal course. The off-site, they don't. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and they don't because of all of the forces we've just talked about. Not because they're weak, but because the forces are so massive. The gravitational pull of non-essentialism, so intoxicating and so, uh, you, know, um, you know, so present everywhere that, uh, that, that what we need to do is create these little cells, these little groups of people who say, before this bubble bursts, I'm making a different choice. Mm. I'm going to create space to design a life that really, really is a, a, a life that matters most to me, that's high contribution, and to, to, live, to do what I came on earth to do. What, what do we do when we get to that space? Um, and we, So let's say we create the space. We create the day, the one in 90 days, and we sit down. What should I be asking myself or my team? Well, well I think – well, first of all, I think, I think I'm not talking about a team, although I think it, of course, executive or team quarterly offsite is a relevant thing to do. But I'm definitely talking about a personal quarterly offsite mm. here. Okay. Uh, so I think here are some of the things that – that we've learned as we designed this program. Um, and people can learn a bit more about how we've designed it, even if they simply want to learn about it themselves by, and, and then sort of you know, copying what we've tried to, to learn by going to applyessential.com. And, and this is what we, we've done. We've said, look, it has to be out in nature. So we chose really carefully selected places that we went. We, tried, we went to all these different retreats and, and, and hotels and different places looking for a place that was full of light, and full of space. So I think that's very important. The location, I think, maybe 50% of the challenge. Mm. You know, so get out into nature. Um, you know, schedule the whole day. This is, not te- this is not an hour. This is not three hours. You know, even in a day, it's limited what you can do. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's so much better than trying to cram this in between two meetings and, oh, I think I'll find my life on my lunch break. Um, <laughs> right. So, so, so the first thing is nature. The second thing is I think that people need to, to, to review their life I mean, what we did, we, we didn't just have people review their life. In the first day in, in this program, we have people start with their grandparents' lives <laughs> and, and really attach themselves. What were my grandparents like? What did they do? What was their legacy to me? How did they impact me? And then they think about their parents. What did my parents do? How did they influence me? What was their legacy to me? And then they start from the day they were born, themselves, and they review their life all the way to right now. You know, if they're, if they're sitting in this personal quarterly offsite. So that's a huge range of, of, of perspective. But then you keep going. You design all the way through to the end of your life. What are my life goals? What would I really do if, the, you know, if, if I could only do a few things? You certainly know more than five life goals. What, what are the things that matter most to me? Then you keep going even beyond that. And you say, what if, what if my own grandchild was sitting here having a personal quarterly offsite and they were now doing just what I did? and review what they learned from their grandparents, from us. What would, what would we want them to write? And so that, that is a massive perspective oh, yeah. compared to the normal sort of life planning people, uh, people take on. And why that matters is because what, what matters most is what lasts longest. What is most essential uh, is 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 a is an easy question to ask, but not so easy to answer. Right. Not so obvious how we would answer it. There's there's a question I love, which is what's important now, which is you know the acronym WIN, which is also nice. Yeah. So what's important now, and that is the right question, but it's hard to answer, and I think close to impossible to answer. 
without something that allows us to look, take a very long-term perspective. So there's a lot of other things that, we, that, that we've designed and figured out that you can do in a personal quality offsite, but the one I just described is one that really... But it's beautiful, too, and it, I mean, honestly, to connect your past, your present, and your future... Um, as part of your your identity, your legacy is it's enormous. It's probably humbling. It must humble these people. I, I think that the, well, not I think I saw it. People were very emotional. These are very capable people. These are very professional. Yeah, yeah. Person professional, uh, but when they when they paused to do this, uh, and certainly there were tears. Certainly there were eureka moments as people said, "Oh, I, I am a so much greater a product of." these people that came before me, uh, that, that I, one, have to decide, I have to you know, decide which of their uh, characteristics and which of their, you know, their, their ideas I want to maintain, mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of that comes in unconsciously. But it also helped them sense their own role in this great story of, you know, story of the human family. Um, and, and I think that where, where you then have to go after you've done this exploration is you do have to start to translate these things into your quarterly goals. And then even beyond that, you then have to start designing a dream routine, you know, a, uh, a way of using the week to be completely attached to these life goals. And, and, and you know, I just want people, even those that are listening right now, just to be so gentle with themselves about everything I'm saying. This doesn't happen overnight. This yeah. doesn't happen in one day. It doesn't happen in, 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 in two events. This is, you know, we, we recommend it to the people in this program to have a three-year perspective. But, but their job is to be gentle on themselves and just to come back every 90 days to the program. Just be there in this community. Allow the, 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 the perspective and the space they're creating to help them to sense what really uh, is, is essential to them. And that that's the most important thing to do. And not even to worry too much about forcing execution right now. You know, to start experimenting with a routine. Yes, do that. Have each week like a pilot, you know, a pilot experiment, and to and to and to not just pilot something new in your life, but also to start doing reverse pilots, where you start saying, "Well, look, if I didn't do this thing, what would happen? Mm. What's the consequence? Uh, if I if I eliminated this thing from my life, what happens?" Uh, and, and to and to be as innovative about what not to do as we are about adding new things in, and and, and that yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and that. I mean, I love the idea that you're not pressuring. I mean, the pressure itself is something that's non-essential. <laughs> it's let it just happen. Let it appear, but keep working at it. And it seems like if you keep working at it and working at it, you'll not only find peace, but you'll find you'll find the essential facts of your life. Yes, this is this is what I found with this with, with the this this essential program that we, that we launched, that, has, that is what I noticed. What it stood in distinction from, I mean, I do a lot of speaking at conferences um, and so on, but this experience was different in kind because there was, you, could, you just told everybody all day, I told people all the time, take the pressure off, you just come back 90 days from now. You just, you know, it's this idea you may have heard before that, that when you take a, a, a trip on, you know, on a plane, plane is off track 90 percent of yeah. the time but they come back and that that coming back is the key yeah and this that's why i think the design of this program why, why i'm so pleased with it and how it, how it's been with the people that have been involved in it and why i think people have had such a 
uh, um, so I, I would call it a life-changing experience with it is because is because it didn't feel uh, it felt it didn't feel contrary to the way we actually grow, right. the way we actually learn and develop, which is a which is a journey, a process. And being an essentialist is definitely that. It's not one more thing to stuff into our already overstuffed lives. It's a different way of thinking about everything. Yeah. Greg, we have about one minute. Tell me what you would say is the one thing. What's the one thing that our listener could do today? Um, I guess maybe let's say they go, they kind of, they go back to nature, they go review their life and do that full review. What could they just do today in order to kind of integrate that into their life today? Well, I think that, I think that it's all back to this idea of designing routines that support the life goals that you have. Mm. Um, so, so I think it's about taking something, a routine that we always do. Let's start with waking up. I mean, there is already, for every single person listening, a, 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 either a, a single routine or a few routines that they follow very habitually. I mean, if they, if they were to, to capture this, they captured it on a camera, they would find that they, you know, they wake up, for a lot of people, they wake up and they check their phone. Yeah. You know, they wake up, they check their phone, they think about certain things, then they get involved. In but there's a pattern for how they do what they do. And what I would say is say, okay, how do I want to use the first five minutes of my day? And just start there. Something very small. What is the five minutes? How can I get centered in the first five mm. minutes? It could be re- reading with some literature, of course. It can, be, uh, it can be, you know, reaching for a journal instead of a phone. I mean, I think take your phone out of your bedroom. Yeah. It really seriously shouldn't be there. You can have, as I do, a, uh, a very basic... Uh, alarm clock for the alarm. You don't have to use your phone for that. Plug your phone in somewhere else so that you have a place that at least for those first few minutes of the day is, a, is space to, to get centered, to, to feel at peace. And to, I, I think that's a place to start. And then build incrementally from it. Yeah. What would you do in 10 minutes and build up to an hour so that that first, first hour of the day becomes, you know, a first half hour, let's call it the, a power half an hour, yeah. uh, where you're really getting charged up for what to, to be able to discern what is essential for the rest of the day. Well, it really is. It's, I mean, it's, it's so simple and yet uh, so essential. Greg McKeon, appreciate uh, your insight and uh, the book Essentialism, uh, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. You can go to the website, Greg McKeon, uh, M, uh, so it's G-R-E-G-M-C-K-E-O-W-N, gregmckeon.com. Go check it out, folks. Uh, honestly, the power of keeping your life simple and essential working on the essential facts of life, um, what could be more powerful than that? We'll take a break, come back, uh, do a quick little wrap-up of this. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know, that whole concept of essentialism, it really is the battle of our life, isn't it? It's such a hard, hard thing to stay focused on what really matters in this world because life's going to just keep pushing on you, right? You got to get money. 
you got to use your schooling. Lots of weird pressures out there. Which uh, brings us full circle to how we started this entire hour. Uh, Again, the passing of Wayne Dyer, um, self-help kind of guru. He was a self-help advocate, author, a lecturer. Passed away. And if, if, you know, a lot of people like to just laugh at these self-help people because they think, oh, these goofballs, they're always just trying to sell their goods. And But honestly, um, Wayne Dyer, he impacted a lot of lives. He sold over 35 million books. And uh, his book, Erroneous Zones, from 1976, is one of the best-selling books of all time. I wanted to run through some of his quotes. I loved uh, just... I just, I loved listening to him. You know, I'm an LDS guy. I'm from Utah, kind of Midwest values guy. And he taught me a lot about Buddha, about Zen, about a lot of stuff I never would have known or really dug deep into. Here's some quotes that uh, come from Wayne Dyer that might help you uh, just think about your, your life and what's most essential to you. Uh, One quote, people who want the most approval get the least, and people who need uh, approval, hold on, people who want the most approval get the least, and people who need approval end up getting the least. Um, If you sit there driving needing approval and keep pushing people to approve you and approve you and approve of you, you're probably going to end up having people pull away from you. That was one of the big principles he taught was it's better instead of just going after and like trying to go take what you want in life. He basically taught a lot more that you just need to be what you want to be in life and life that will attract the benefit back to you. Stop acting as if life is a rehearsal. Here's another one of his quotes. Live this day as if it were your last. The past is over and gone. The future is not guaranteed. Live today as if this was your last. Your past is over, and your future, not guaranteed. Mm, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Abundance is not something we acquire, Wayne Dyer says. It's something we tune into. So instead of just setting all these goals so you can go acquire what you want in life, he's believed it was more tuning into it. You've got to tune into what you want. If you want better relationships, you've got to tune into them. Don't just go make it happen. Self-worth comes from one thing, thinking that you are worthy. How many times on this show have we talked to uh, Kimberly Giles, um, one of our great coaches that we bring on from Clarity Point Coaching, and she's always like, it's always about you got to believe that you're of worth. Self-worth comes from one thing, thinking that you are worthy. Not thinking you're better than everybody else, just thinking that you're worthy. Another Wayne Dyer quote, uh, begin to see yourself as a soul— with a body rather than a body with a soul. It's one of my favorite quotes ever. Teilhard de Chardin had that quote that said, you are not human beings having a spiritual experience. You are spiritual beings having a human experience. So when you think about being essential, if you are a spiritual being and you're here having a human experience, then the essential facts of your life are probably spiritual. They're probably not you know, they probably don't have much to do with the fact that you've got, you know, bills to pay. And yet, that's where we spend our lives. Doing what you love is the cornerstone of having abundance in your life. If you're wondering, you know, why you hate your job, 
there may not be abundance there simply because you're not doing something you love. Well, it's too late to do something I love. Not really. It's only too late in our heads, right? Real magic in relationships, uh, Wayne Dyer teaches us, means an absence of judgment of others. Real magic is when we don't need to judge everybody. Uh, 27, here's this 27th top quote. When I chased after money, I never had enough. When I got life on purpose and focused on giving of myself and everything that arrived into my life, then I was prosperous. Anyway, great lessons from Wayne Dyer. Again, Wayne Dyer passed away at 75 years of age. And on the show, we're always trying to just give you the tools you need. Not just great quotes, but really great interviews like we just had a few minutes ago with Greg McKeown. We're going to take a break, folks. Hour number three is coming up after this break. Stick with us. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Top of the morning to you. Dr. Matt here, your guide on the side. Doing what we can to give you the tools to live a healthier, happier life. Today we got a great uh, topic coming up. Alan Fox will be joining us in just a minute. He is the uh, New York Times best-selling author of the book People Tools: 54 Strategies for Building Relationships, Creating Joy, and Embracing Prosperity. Who doesn't need that? We all need more relationship help for heaven's sakes. Just looking across the table here at Ben Wasden. Ben, are you you dating? Yes. <laughs> no, you're not. I came up with a new theory with my son. My son that just got back from a mission, here's the theory. I told him, all you need to do is 200 dates. Wow. And you'll be married. So I'm about 10. Yeah. And oh, he's, like, he's like, well, left. well, what do you mean, like <laughs> 200 dates? And I'm like, well, in, in 200 dates, you'll find somebody. And, you know, they don't even need to be with 200 different people. Just 200 dates. Oh, so it could be 200 dates with the same person, yeah. with one person. I mean, if you've dated somebody 200 times... Oh, you better know by then. What's going on? <laughs> you've got a fear issue. Um, but he's basically saying, well, I've only gone on two dates in two months. And I'm like, well, great. So at this rate, you'll be 60. It's just it's just numbers. Well, that's okay. He'll just live with you. Is that, isn't that, is that a problem? <sighs> no, because we'll charge rent. <laughs> Well, I, I figure if I get married when I'm 60, I'll have like 40 years to live with them, right? Ooh. Yeah, no. No, no, no. So you've got that all wrong. You're assuming you'll live to 100. You might live to 50. Well, I'm a millennial. Right. So, yeah, you'll probably live to 45. <laughs> what does that mean? You're a millennial. It doesn't mean you're going to live longer. Oh, you're just totally hopeful. Does. You got it all wrong. You know what you could do is pray. Pray for a wife. That's what they're doing now in uh, in Jackson, Mississippi. They need $743 million worth of repairs on their infrastructure in so Jackson, Mississippi. Praying for... So they're just praying. This is brilliant. So the mayor has told the residents that they can't fix as many potholes 
and so they, they need the power of prayer. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah, it's just a safer, better drive now. Yes, I believe we can pray potholes away. Can we pray for the I-15 construction at the point of the mountain? Can you we bet. get that? Okay. Yeah. There it goes. Yep. You well, just, we better you, start praying because that, that uh, point if, of the mountain is going to be going on for a lot longer. Mayor Tony Yarber, she said, you know, Moses prayed and he opened the sea right up. Right. So you just pray that this light will change. And pray the that, that will be filled. Yeah. Pray that that cop behind you, that he's not going to give you a ticket. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And then if you get a ticket, you obviously lack faith. You Makes sense to me. <laughs> you go to the hot place where the devil lives, you loser. Oh, wow. That'd be great. You know what? I mean, honestly, it's kind of a neat idea. It's, it's a novel idea. Start to pray. Pray your potholes away. So are you praying for that son to find the, the right person? No. You're not? No. I'm praying for mine. Are you? Uh-huh. I've got yeah. two. I know. You, yeah, yours are, yeah, yours have been out in a while. Yeah. Mine's brand new. I'm just, I'm just praying he can get to school today. <laughs> I'm praying that he can drive and get – He's because he's starting BYU today. Mm. Oh, we, in fact, he came down with me last night when I gave my that talk down here and we I drove him around. So this is where you could park. Where is he living? He's, he's in the dorms? He's, he's actually – well, he, he got a, a late start and so he's living at home and going to commute the first commute. semester. Commute, OK. Except somebody wants him to live – anyway, it's a long story. <laughs> They want him to live down here, but it's like the most expensive apartment. And I'm like, Dude, why? Live at home. Like, really? Well, I actually said live in the garage. And his mom's like, he can't live in the garage. He can't breathe. She's got all these rules. <laughs> he has to eat. <laughs> ah, Darn it. Get off my back. Anyway, we'll see if he survives. But we are praying for him to do that. Hey, let's, uh, let's go to the headlines, find out what else we should be praying for. Well, President Obama will spend the next few days in Alaska speaking with coastal villagers about the impact of global climate change to their livelihoods. The trip is the first by a sitting president and the culmination of the climate change policy Obama has pushed over the last two years. Speaking of Alaska, the White House made an announcement yesterday changing the tallest peak in North America from Mount McKinley to Denali. They say renaming the mountain is in recognition of Alaska natives. However, lawmakers from Ohio are angry, saying the change is a constitutional overreach. The mountain has been named after the 25th president of the United States, William McKinley who was from Ohio. Democratic Senator Jeff Merkley yesterday became the 31st senator to give his support to the Iran nuclear deal. That means the Senate needs three more yes votes to sustain President Obama's promised veto of the accord. The vote for a binding resolution of disapproval is expected to be taken up by Congress in mid-September. The man accused of shooting a police officer at a gas station in Texas will be in court this morning for an arraignment hearing. 30-year-old Shannon Miles is charged with capital murder when he allegedly ambushed deputy Deputy Darren Goforth Friday night. Harris County Sheriff Ron Hickman linked the killing to heightened tension over the Black Lives Matter movement. We've heard Black Lives Matter, all lives matter. Well, cops' lives matter too. So why don't we just drop the qualifier and just say lives matter? 
Hundreds of people attended a vigil for the officer over the weekend. Miles is being held without bail. Motivational guru Dr. Wayne Dyer died last night. In a statement, his family said Dr. Dyer couldn't wait for his next adventure to begin and had no fear of dying. Dyer was 75 years old. Wes Craven, the man best known for Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream movies, also died yesterday. Craven died of brain cancer. He was 76 years old. And Taylor Swift was the big winner during last night's MTV Video Music Awards. Swift took home four awards, including Top Video of the Year. Swift was also reunited on stage with Kanye West, who snatched the microphone from her six years ago. And here's what Kanye had to say last night. And yes, as you probably could have guessed by this moment... I have decided in 2020 to run for president. As you could guess, I'm not sure what he meant as by you that. Could guess. So, as you could guess from me standing here, I would have guessed I'm anything else. <laughs> anything but running for president. So, President West, I don't know. I don't know about you. That That's where you me need just prayers. A little bit. That's where you oh, need the prayers sure. back. You need the uh-huh. prayers. Uh-huh. So, we're praying that he doesn't run? Is that what you're exactly. saying? Exactly. <laughs> you just pray it off. <laughs> It's like a, just like a bad day. Oh wow! Oh wow! Good, interesting, and good news, I guess. Well done, Kathy. Here's the deal: any people in your life, you ever just sat there and you thought, "Oh, if I just had that one tool, I could fix this thing in my yard or fix my air conditioning." Well, have you ever wondered what tools you need to deal with the people in your life and to handle them in a more effective way? Well, we're going to take a break when we come back. Uh, New York Times bestseller, People Tools, and the author, Alan C. Fox, of the book People Tools, 54 Strategies for Building Relationships, Creating Joy, and Embracing Prosperity. We'll be trying to give you some new tools for how you, just basic little ideas, little tools that you can start using with the people in your life, hopefully to get better results. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you have a leaky faucet or a broken fence... You pull out your toolbox, right, and you find the right tool for the job. Well, what are you supposed to do when uh, the break is in a relationship, or the break is just simply a you know a friend that you can't relate to anymore, or you need to give feedback to? Wouldn't it be nice to have a toolbox for your your people in your life, for your relationships? Well, today's guest, Alan C. Fox, is the author of the New York Times bestseller People Tools: Fifty Four Strategies for Building Relationships, Creating Joy and embracing prosperity. He's here today to help us uh, gather some of these tools that will lead to more effectiveness and healthier relationships. Alan C. Fox, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here. Great to have you here. And um, when you think about it, really, people and our relationships, its they're everywhere, right? It's, it's really the most universal thing we've got to deal with, our relationships. And it seems like most of us don't really know how to. Is that, is that why you wrote the book? Absolutely, Matt. Uh, I think that getting along well with other people is the most important skill that we can have. And when you think about it, that's not something that's taught in schools. You just have to kind of pick it up from your family and friends. And 
that's why I've written the People Tools series, uh, including the most recent, out recently, People Tools for Love and Relationships. But relationships are where it's at. Oh, totally. And um, it's so funny, too, because you are a person. Everyone's we're, – we're, we're people, and yet the tools tend to elude us. Why, why is that? Why do you think we don't teach this stuff in school? Why, why isn't this more top of the list? Well, I think as more and more people uh, work and live closer and closer together, I think it becomes more and more important, and we're still uh, back training people for the last century rather than the uh, this century, where I think getting along with with people is going to be number one. It's so true. You have a great quote in the book, I'd rather be alone and together than be together yet alone. What do you mean by that? Well, you know... I'm kind of an introvert personally, but I'd rather be by myself doing things I enjoy than, you know, we've all been with someone and there's that that awkward, uncomfortable silence, things that we want to say or they want to say that aren't said. So, you know, I'd rather be with myself than be with someone and have it not work. I mean, being by someone else and having it work well is, of course, an excellent goal. Yeah, it truly is. And it's... um because there's nothing really worse than being with somebody when you don't feel good about yourself, you don't feel like you even relate to this person, and you just kind of feel stuck. Absolutely. Where where do you go? Um, where do you go? Because it's interesting you brought up you're an introvert. I, I'm actually fairly introverted too, and nobody thinks that because you know you're in this industry where you're out speaking or or on the radio or whatever. Um, does that make a big difference in, in how we relate to people, whether we're an introvert or extrovert? I think it does make a difference because extroverts are much more willing to be out there, talk to people, and, and meet people. So, But I think for both introverts and extroverts, I think the technique of getting along with others is, um, is, 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 is really important. Is that um, – maybe start teaching us, what are some of – the lessons and the tools that we should be using or could be using that are in your books? Well, my first chapter in People Tools for Love and Relationships is the key is you. And that's good news and bad news. It's good news because you have control of your relationships and you can make them work better. You you, you don't have to wait for your partner. It's also bad news because you can't rely on them. You know, when I was growing up, it was clear. You grow up, fall in love, get married, live happily ever after. Yeah. And if you if you don't live happily ever after, and I didn't, um, uh, then it's easy. The problem is you picked the wrong person. Yeah, right. Mistake. And then so dump them and get somebody else. Well, I did that twice and found out that that wasn't working. So I thought maybe I'd better work on myself. Yeah. So the most important thing, the first important thing, is to be the right person. And, and what? What does that mean? I mean, because I guess, is that me being the right person generally or specifically for this person I'm trying to deal with, or both? I think it means both, uh, Matt, because if you're not the right person, you know, you can't turn it on and off. Yeah. And uh, by being the right person, I mean, first of all, you have to be authentic. And, you know, we're all engaged in courtship behavior. You meet someone and they like tennis. Oh, I love tennis. And then you go out and quickly take some tennis lessons. But... uh, you know, I uh, I know a woman, and the day she was married, after the ceremony, she said to her new husband, now I don't have to ever go out on your darn boat again. <laughs> and she had pretended to like it. Well, you know, I don't think that marriage uh, lasted very long. <laughs> and it's important to, um, uh, to, to be authentic. Be authentic in all of your relationships. If you like something, say so. If you don't, 
say so. Well, Tell people what you want. Otherwise, yeah. What, what are you making? I guess you're just you're living a lie. I mean, he's sitting there thinking you've liked my boat. I thought you liked my boat for years. No, I've hated your boat. So- yeah, right, exactly. And you know, there's another one. He talked about living a lie, and 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 in many cases we do. And uh, I have a chapter in the People Tools book that truth is the is the long cut. You know, sometimes when you lie, you make people happy right now, short term. But when they find out, then the stuff hits the fans. So, yeah. You know, I, I just think it's important to, to, to not lie and not mis- misrepresent yourself. Yeah, because in the end, you're going to pay for it one way or another. Yeah. Right? And and I guess that's the key is the sooner the better. But it seems like, too, a lot of this is um, – I mean people come in a variety of sources and, 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 a diff- and shapes and, and paradigms and assumptions – how do I, how do I deal with kind of the, the the dynamics of so many different people I'm going to come across? Well, I have to uh, believe that you have to get along with each type of person, and there are a number of personality types. And um, you know, I I, I think, uh, however, to get to know people better, for example, another chapter is the best defense is no defense. You know, hmm. if you fight with people all the time, you're never going to find out what they're about. So if somebody, uh, if my wife, uh, something she'd like me to do differently, I can either have an intent to defend and say, no, I don't do it that way, or you, you do it too, or you're worse than I am, or I can have an intent to learn and just ask her what she's really talking about. That makes her feel better, and I learn a lot more on how to get along with her. Yeah. So, you know, being real and asking people and not being defensive, I think, is a very good idea. Yeah, today we've been talking about how, you know, everybody's got an angle now, and you don't even know everybody's kind of a little defensive, and everybody's protecting their little, you know, part of this environment, whether it's, you know, a genetic difference or a psychological difference or a gender stereotype. Everyone's got an angle, and the idea of being, don't be as defensive. Just just allow allow stuff to be how do you how do you do that how do i not b- build my identity around you know my weirdest or not weirdest my most eccentric part of me <laughs> my most different part of me well you know matt i work in real estate and occasionally uh, properties for sale waf which means with all faults and that means you know if it has a leaky roof or broken windows too bad the buyer's got to fix it hmm. and i think i apply that with people with all faults we all have faults, and if you recognize it's 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 okay to not be perfect. Nobody who's ever lived has been perfect. Right. So accept the fact that you and everyone you meet is with all faults, and just accept that, and don't uh, don't fight against it, and uh, you'll have a much happier life. Yeah, yeah, that perfectionism it's a big deal because then I end up trying to make everyone else around me. That's got to be a relationship killer. Trying to make everyone else around me being more perfect. That's absolutely, and uh, uh, you know when you try to take on the problems of everybody else—your uh, children, your parents, your spouse, your friends—I <laughs> think you're going to burn out pretty quickly and uh, never uh, uh, fully. Uh, you know, I find it's enough to control myself, uh, let alone tro- controlling other people. Oh yeah, no, it's exactly. I mean, yeah, getting your head in the game is hard enough. One of your people tools I know is, and I know you're careful about it, is the concept of abandoning ship. You know, if it's too, if the ship's going down, there is a point you probably need to get off the ship. Absolutely. And, uh, 
You know, I'm a very loyal purple person. I've had people work for me and uh, with me for 30, 40 years. I've been married for almost 35 years. But, you know, if the ship is sinking, uh, maybe you uh, your loyalty to that particular ship um, is about time to abandon. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, people don't change that much. Patterns persist, which is one of my people tools. And if you've had the same problem for years and years, you're not likely to change. They're not likely to change. At some point, as difficult as it may be, it's better to abandon ship and get out of one relationship and make room in your life for another and better relationship than to stay there for the rest of your life. Yeah. How do you, how do you know when it's time? What, what do you suggest? What are the signs you look for? Um, to know that, you know what, this is one that's probably not repairable. Well, I, I, I think that, um, you know, I have a tool in my first book on people tools called uh, The Belt Buckle. And uh, that is, I, I heard an uh, interview with an uh, all, All-American defensive football player who said the great runners, you know, they can fake with their eyes, they can fake with their head, they can fake with their shoulders, they can't fake with their belt buckle. Hmm. That's where they're going. I watch their belt buckle. And I take that to mean I watch what people do, not what they say. Someone says, I'll be on time, but you know, every time I've gotten together with them for the last two years, they've been half an hour late. I assume they're going to be late. So watch your partner's belt buckle. Watch what they do. And if they do stuff that is unacceptable, like you know, physical violence, emotional uh, uh, abuse, abuse yeah. it's not going to change. You may hope it will. Yeah. It won't. That's a bad bet. So... Get out. And especially, it won't change if you don't change, right? So if you keep taking abuse, then you're just reinforcing that they can abuse you. But if you just say, I'm done, that might be the beginning of a change. Absolutely, and that's the only way to do it. Yeah. You know, they, they say in negotiation, you got to walk away from the table at least once. And um, I'm not ad- ad- advocating that for relationships, but sometimes it's absolutely necessary. Oh, yeah. And I, I love, too, that back to your patterns persist principle, if patterns persist and you keep being a part of the ineffective pattern, then you're part of the consistency. Somebody that's, needs that's, to do that's something. your pattern in, in, in allowing it to happen. Yeah. Exactly right, Matt. No, that's huge. Well, let's take a break. We're speaking with Alan C. Fox, again, the author of the, the New York Times bestseller, People Tools, 54 Strategies for Building Relationships, Creating Joy, and Embracing Prosperity. We'll be back to go through a few more tools, see if we can't get more help from Alan Fox. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about uh, your relationships and uh, some tools to fix broken relationships and just the people that you interact with. Sometimes you j- it's nice to just have some tools in your back pocket, some paradigms, some some beliefs that might help you get through the tough times. Joining us on the phone is Alan C. Fox. He's the uh, author of the New York Times bestseller, People Tools, 54 Strategies for Building Relationships, Creating Joy, and Embracing Prosperity. And uh, he says that the key to happiness and success in life is building strong relationships. He's here now to give us the tools. 
Alan C. Fox, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be back. Good to have you. You've taught us a bunch of tools, like the key is you, the um, you know, the belt buckle approach. You also taught us about kind of when it's a good time to abandon ship, when it's not. What what would you say about just simply this this tendency we have as humans to mind read? You know, <laughs> we, we a lot of us have no clue what someone's thinking, but we sure think we do. That's for sure. And we expect it. Uh, yeah. People Tools for Love and Relationships, I have a chapter on that. And uh, you, you, mind reading. If you loved me, I wouldn't have to ask. <laughs> and don't we all tend to believe that? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I come home and say, well, why did you make this for dinner? You know that's what I wanted. Well, how in the world is, <laughs> is anybody going to go anything unless I tell them? Yeah. And, you know, and, and someone gets angry at me for not reading their mind. I tell them, hey, you know, I've turned in my license. I'm, I'm really no good at mind reading. So, and, and, you know, there's another tool that goes with that, Matt, which is it's okay to ask. You know, my father got so angry when you asked him for something he wanted right. to say no to that he got really angry. And I learned just don't ask, don't yeah. ask. Well, it's okay to ask, and it's also okay to say no. You don't have to get angry about it. Well, yeah. It, it, how many of us go through life never asking, you know, for the same reason? You know, you may have learned... You may get your hand slapped a lot when you're a kid, so you're like, I'm just not going to ask. But if you never ask, you never – I guess you'd never get married. <laughs> if you never ask, you'd never get what you want. That's for sure. Absolutely. And then there's that weird moment, though, isn't there, that when you have to ask and you extend yourself and you're vulnerable and then they shut you down, it almost seems like you're much more inclined to just never bring it up again. Well, that's one way. Not asking is one way to avoid rejection. Yeah. But as they say, uh, if you ask a hundred times and you get five yeses, that's better than not asking at all and never getting one yes. Mm-hmm. It's it, that's I think what's so strange about relationships is because it's so there's so many different individual preferences that we have, personal preferences that might get in the way. How, how do I negotiate your preferences versus mine? How do we how do we get through that so we don't end up fighting just about preference? Well, I, I think one thing you have to do is appeal to their self-interest. In other words, if, if, if I want a friend or my wife to do something and, and they have a problem with it, um, you know, suppose I want to go to uh, an opera. My wife doesn't want to go to the opera. I say, okay, what, what, what do I have to do to get you to go to the opera? And she might say, well, if you go to this wedding with me of yeah. a friend, then I'll go to the opera. So appeal to, to what they want. You know what you want, but yeah. you have to get cooperation for somebody else. Well, that's that's probably the real estate guy in you. <laughs> I mean, right? You got to you got to first find out what someone wants in order to make a sell. Absolutely, Matt. That's 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 a good pickup. And in real estate, I always want to find out what the other side wants. What's most important? Is it is it price? Is it quick action? Location? Yeah. Location. Whatever they want that's most important. That's what I want to give them. Yeah, and if you assume that, you're dead, aren't you? Because then I'm just going to keep trying to push price when price may not be your trigger. Exactly right. Absolutely. Huh. And it's funny. You wouldn't always think that that's the same in your marriage, but it really is. I mean, if your wife really wants to get to this wedding, she might sit through an opera just to do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's a matter of, it's not that your partner is going to give you everything you want. It's, it's a matter of negotiation, and you do some things for them and some things for yourself. Hmm. And 
uh, unfortunately, they say, you know, a compromise, uh, you know, it's a good compromise if, uh, if both people are slightly dissatisfied. Yeah. No, it's so true. I mean, it, it, that's that's what I used to always do as a mediator is I would just, you know, they'd always offer this brilliant solution that's so one-sided. And I'd always ask, okay, so if we just turn the deal, you'd like that? Well, yeah, absolutely. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's got to be an equal deal on both sides. And uh, yeah, and man, being a mediator, I think it's excellent, excellent training for uh, for real life. Because as a mediator, you see the issues objectively, and the parties can't do that themselves. Yeah, man. When I was a mediator, one of the biggest issues that seemed to just blur all common thought was money, finances, any issue about money. Are there any specific tools we should use when we're talking about money with the people we care about or with the people in our lives? Absolutely. And one of my chapters in People Tools for Love and Relationship is let's talk about money. In most families, they don't talk about money. You know, my second wife said to me one day, my parents need financial help. I said, well, how do you know? She said, well, it's just a feeling. I said, well, what did your dad earn? She said, I don't know. Well, if they have problems making their mortgage payment, I, I don't know. Why do you think they... Just a feeling. You talk to them. So I talked to them, and no, they were perfectly okay. And if you're uncomfortable talking about something, how can you solve problems? Yeah. I mean, a woman I knew got married, and two years later, she and her husband went to buy a house. His credit was horrible. They couldn't qualify for the loan. She didn't know that. They never talked about money. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? Absolutely. So we're not even going to talk about it? I mean, that's then I guess, yeah, then you're just left guessing. Well, I, I had a funny one. <clears throat> my first wife, when I was driving, she started rubbing the back of my neck, which I really liked. And I had this idea that if I moved my head, she'd <laughs> stop. So I drove just using my eyes. And, you know, I should have said to her, honey, I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move my head to drive properly, but, but keep on doing it. Yeah, keep going. I, yeah, absolutely. Communicate, huh? You bet. Well, you're lucky you're not dead. <laughs> For sure. That would have totally ended the neck rub if you get in a car accident. Um, well, as we wrap this up, what would you say is the one thing? You know, I always like to end with kind of the one thing that makes the biggest difference. What is the one thing our, our audience can take away today and start using to, to have a better life with people? I think the one thing you can use is what you hear every time you, you take a flight on a commercial airliner, and that is put on your own oxygen mask first. In other words, you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to get enough emotional satisfaction yourself to be of any use in a relationship. You know, some people uh, just take care of the other and take care of the other and take care of the other, and they, they've just got nothing left in the tank. Yeah. So be sure to take care of yourself. Put on your own oxygen mask first. That's good stuff. Great advice. Alan C. Fox, thank you so much for being here and talking to us about the people tools. Everybody, you can go find that uh, information about the book at peopletoolsbook.com and uh, learn more from Alan um, on that website and uh, all of his different versions of people tools. Great stuff. We're going to take a break, my friends. And, of course, uh, go talk to our good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Remember, they're on right after our show. Um, and, uh, man, so much to learn, so much to uh, to do. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back with BYU Sports Nation.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We always like to check in with uh, our sister brother, sister show, BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, John. Oh, man. Brother, probably brother show, right? You're our brother. Yeah. Smells like brother. Oh, brother. Didn't you play Space Jam last week? Yeah, but you know why we're playing Space Jam again? Please inform me. <laughs> this just in. Michael Jordan's Space Jam uniform is going up for auction. How much would you guys pay for a Michael Jordan Space Jam uniform? Like the one he used in the movie? Yep, the exact one. The exact one he used in the movie. I would pay $5. I don't even know that I would bid on it. I wouldn't bid on it either. I don't really care about this Space Jam, yeah, <laughs> Space uh, yeah. Jam jersey. Ten grand to fifteen grand. that's what they're paying for that. Wow. Come on. Huh. Really? Wow. Okay. Who would do that? A crazy Michael Jordan collector. Somebody. Yes. Somebody's got dough. <laughs> Somebody's got dough. People so, got dough. Hashtag capitalism. Hashtag, yeah. Hashtag Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could buy it, sure. Hashtag Ivanka. <laughs> <laughs> What's I, his son's name? I don't know, Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy Trump. <laughs> Jimmy Trump. <laughs> Jimmy! I got Ivanka, I got Ivana, and I got Jimmy. Which kid do you want? Hey, um, you guys, you know, I miss you over the weekend. Do you really? I do. I really do. I don't know if you guys know this, but next week, BYU's playing a game. No, this week. This week. Oh, isn't it on the weekend? Oh, sorry. Yeah, this it's week. It's on Saturday. It's yeah. this week. It is this week. Yeah. I don't know what calendar you use, but it's this week. It's well, I use the way. Mayan calendar, Does which your is... your random calendar of awesomeness <laughs> not feature the BYU football Does schedule? Does it start on uh, no, like it doesn't. Wednesday? No, but it is this week. Yeah, that's weird to say that. That yeah, yeah. We've uh, yeah we we do what's called the countdown to kickoff. Oh, tell me about countdown it. Countdown to the Corn Huskers. Actually, is what it's called. Um, countdown to kickoff is the show I produce. Oh, oh uh, wow! Yeah. What a what a weird little slip there. Yeah, well, slip how your about show that? title in there. How about that uh, oh, two thirty Eastern time this Saturday. Countdown <laughs> to kickoff. What's up? <laughs> countdown to the Corn Huskers. Something we do every day. When did we start, Spencer? I think two hundred and fifty-eight days this okay, year. Okay, we're down to five. Jeez Louise. Okay. Friday, we're doing a store, uh, store, a show from the bookstore. I speak American. Yeah. We're doing a show from the bookstore. From the BYU bookstore. Yeah. Why? The, sorry, it's called the BYU store. Yeah, the BYU they, store. They've sorry, yeah. Yeah, 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 they have. It's been a couple months. What, why, why are you doing that? And uh, just because they asked us. Okay. Um, and we're going we're gonna to celebrate. Hmm. And la- last year, if you watched the show, we, you know, we celebrated a certain way, and some of those things that we celebrated with are still falling from the rafters. Yeah. Re- as of this week. I'm not even kidding. Last this, August. Today. This is going to be cool. Hey, when you're over there, can you bring me back some fudge? Are you going to pay us for the fudge? We'd be happy to is, pick is, some do, up for do you. Do you have a purchasing card we could borrow? Well, I was just wondering, you guys, you're there, and you're doing a live shot, so I'm sure they'll just throw fudge all over you. Just grab me some. That is the segment idea. <laughs> we are flirting with that. Flirting right with now. fudge. <laughs> the fudge flirt. Did you guys know what today is, by the way? August 31st, Trail Mix Day. Trail Mix Day? Yeah. Okay. Just BYU's on a trail to Lincoln, Nebraska. Everything goes back to Lincoln. It's game week for BYU athletics in Nebraska. This is cool. Because women's soccer plays Nebraska tonight. In Lincoln. In Lincoln. Oh, this They're is setting cool. the stage for the week. So you're, you're, I'm assuming this entire week is going to be all dedicated to that game. Pretty Everything. much the entire offseason has kind of been <laughs> dedicated to that game. <laughs> dedicated to that game, but you're right. Yeah, okay. it's, we're, we're gonna we're gonna tell you everything you need to know the entire week like, leading like up to BYU today's, and Nebraska. Today specifically on your show, 
what will you be addressing? So all of my fans can just stop, stay, go through the break, and then join your show. What would be what would get them to stay? Tell us. That is a fantastic question. Thank you. And I will answer with this. BYU's tradition with a senior quarterback is a fabulous one. Not just in the entire season, uh-huh. but when they have a senior quarterback starting the season opener. Ooh. So this is going to be good. Yes. Of course it's going to be good. This is great. That's a great tradition. Not to mention we have a former BYU quarterback on the show, Riley Nelson. Mm-hmm. And David Nixon, a former NFL linebacker. David we don't Nixon. want to be quarterback, David Nixon. By the way, I just I just interviewed his wife. Or his sister, Emily. Sister, that's right. Who's Taysom's wife. So you're in you're into the I'm in the know. Holly Mendenhall. Yeah. No, you know, I'm in the know. In the know. Emily Nixon. I, like, you, you go I'm to dropping the wives. Oh, you go for to the sure. wives of David the coach Nixon, and the quarterback. Inside linebacker. Yeah. I know okay. a lot. All right. <sighs> anyway, so yeah, it's game day for women's soccer and we have that juicy, juicy topic to discuss. What do you well, expect the BYU offense to do in their season opener? Kill it. Carnage. It. More specifically, that's our Twitter question. Oh, you're going to get more specific. Like how many points, how many yards? You know, what do you expect the offense to do, man? I just think they're going to win. That's all. I mean, what else matters? That's yards. Matt, that is a great point, when, Matt. When win. people can't think of stuff, that's what they say. Yeah, you got to go for win. We want you to think of stuff. We're challenging your intellect. You know what? Well, when we can't think of stuff to say on our show, we just say Donald Trump. That's all we say. All right. no, no. That's one way. Jimmy Trump. Coping Jimmy Crackhorn Trump. Silence. I think, I think Jimmy Trump was a husker. Wasn't he a corn husker? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> Where have we gone? I have no idea. What is happening? It just slipped away so fast. <laughs> so fast. Well, guys, sounds like a great show. Have a great one. Thank you. Knock Talk it out of the park you. as Thank usual. <laughs> Beautiful harmony. Beautiful tunes. Good job, guys. Have a great show. Man, wow. I, I, I didn't realize. I said next week. I meant this week. Yeah. Look at me. You know what it is? It's because I talk to those guys, and they're so on everything. They're on top of it. Half of – I mean, if I said that same thing to anybody on my team, you guys would never have picked up on that. Well, I, I just assumed it was like old age or something. But what, what, what do you mean? Like that you forgot that it was this week. So you think I'm old? Well, it's creeping up on you, Matt. It totally is. It totally is. I'm, I am. I'm, I've got gray hair now. It's horrible. Horrible. I'm burning easier. <laughs> I don't know if that's an old age thing. Hey, did you hear about this uh, surfer thing? The surfer, this is crazy. Listen to this, folks. A surfer escaped injury yesterday after a great white shark bit her board off. <laughs> this song gives me the creeps. Eleanor Dempsey, 54, of Los Osos, California, by the way, which means those bears, the bears, California, said she was surfing at Morro Strand State Beach, just north of Morro Bay, around 10 a.m., when a shark swam under her board and chomped on it, leaving approximately a 14-inch wide bite mark. Holy cow. She's fine, though. She wasn't hurt. Her board, still undergoing surgery. They're stitching it up. That was great music, though, by the way, Ben. It does give me the creeps. It's a creepy book. Did you hear this one? This guy, what a what an idiot. A man just got out of jail, and now he's right back behind bars again. Deputies say he got out of the 4th Avenue jail 
and then he tried to steal a Maricopa County Sheriff's Office vehicle. And probably it's a criminal act. (laughs) Thank you, Donald. It absolutely is. Not even probably. They arrested 29-year-old David Spurlock, who had just been released on drug charges from the 4th Avenue jail. Surveillance video shows Spurlock running around the jail exterior after his release. He went over to a marked MCSO, which stands for Maricopa County Sheriff's Office, semi-truck and trailer that was backed into the jail loading docks. And he made it inside the cabin, but he wasn't able to start the truck. Oh, come on! (laughs) Deputies took him into custody, and he told them he was going to sell the truck for money. What? I was just going to sell the truck for money. You know what? This is where you believe in Darwin, survival of the fittest. This is the guy that just shouldn't survive. He just keeps trying to steal. You don't steal from the sheriff's county. You don't officers. You don't steal from the cops. You steal from the people, and then they call the cops. That's the order of things. Yeah, you got to be like the middleman. <laughs> yeah, you need a middleman. The cops could, you know, they've got their own stuff. You don't steal from the cops. You know, it's like doing surgery on a surgeon. You don't do that. Anyway, um, see, so if, if, again, everybody out there that's like, man, I wish I just, I wish I was smarter. You don't need to be smarter. You've, you're already smarter than that guy. So we're just showing you there's a lot of people that you're way ahead of. So if you like to feel good by comparison, you're killing it. You're totally killing it. Um, anyway, happy trail mix day. I uh, Do you like trail mix, Ben? Oh, I love trail mix. Do you, I've been... You know, we go to those uh, big box stores. I don't want to name names, but we go to one, you know, where you buy by the bulk. It rhymes with Bosco. Yeah, I think that's actually what it is. It's, Bosco, it's called yeah. Bosco. Yeah. yeah, we were at Bosco. We bought like a, I don't even know what you call it. I think we bought a, like a five-gallon bag. Is there a five-gallon bag? If there is, I'll buy it. Yeah. We buy it by the pound. We bought a 50-pound bag of trail mix, and I can't touch the stuff anymore. Like, honestly, my son last night, hey, do you want me to give you some trail mix for your lunch? My son makes my lunch, by the way. Super cool. He's got great taste and (laughs) tons of junk food. I got Go-Gurt. I've got all this really great snack foods. Do you have the person in your family that picks all the M&Ms and the raisins? Yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah. But I, I eat the raisins. I like that. But I'm sick of it. I'm done. Of, I'm done. I can't have trail mix anymore. So uh, we're going to have to change today's no longer trail mix day. Let's just uh, – a quick edit. In fact, make a note of this if you would, Ben. Just um, uh, remove trail mix from the list of days and let's just call – thank you. Okay. And you're writing this on the chalkboard apparently? It's It's a new thing. Okay. No more trail mix day. Let's just call today um, the day of reckoning. Okay, I wrote all that down. So You're still writing. Yeah, so explain day to me reckoning. what you want reckoning to be. Reckoning is – now that makes it sound like it's like the end of the world and God's a day of reckoning. Let's just call it uh, Matt's day of joy. Matt's day of joy. Okay. I'll call someone about that. Yeah, get on that if you would. Hey, you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story. 
Today's hero is photographer Omar Havana. Omar Havana, listen to this story. What a cool story. Omar Havana was in Nepal this last April when he became a firsthand witness to a disastrous earthquake. While recovering the efforts, or while in recovery efforts, Havana came across a young boy named Jetlin. And Jetlin uh, loves to play soccer. And when the earthquake struck, that is exactly what he was doing. Jetlin said when he felt the earthquake hit, he grabbed his ball and he ran to hide. And after it was over, Jetton said that he got back up and began playing again. Jetton is also an avid fan of Christian Ronaldo. And in all the pictures that Havana took of Jetton, uh, he's wearing Ronaldo's jersey number. Havana knew the importance of this player to Jetton, so when he went about trying to contact Ronaldo and his team, he wanted to see if they would do something for this great young fan from Nepal. A few weeks later... Uh, Havana was able to deliver a brand new Ronaldo jersey, jersey to Jetton that was signed saying, Jetton, be strong, Christian Ronaldo. How cool is that? The 13-year-old is already wearing the jersey with pride. Havana says this boy is a representation of the heartache, but almost also the strength of the country. The boy's smile was all it took to make everything worth it. Omar Havana, folks, one producer, one photographer, out there covering that earthquake in Nepal changes the life of one boy. Symbolically, we all can do the exact same thing. Uh, good stuff, folks. We are so fortunate to be who we are and where we are, and uh, we like to be a show that helps you find the good in the world. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas. And until then, make it a great life. <laughs>